What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can check out chasethomaspodcast.com. That is on my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome to the Thursday night edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. First up on this, just very, it, there's a lot of people going to be in this podcast, but first up, Jared Hallis, jacketsonline.com. Jared, good evening. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Um, I have a lot of questions about tech. So yeah. um, it's been a good off season for you guys. I mean, tech got new uniforms. The Russell days are finally behind us that those monstrosities are over that's a um, thing of beauty isn't it it's it's great i mean i'm not the biggest adidas person but it's a step up and beggars can't be choosers and just moving on from russell i think is a step in the right direction absolutely um what did you make of roman reigns though doning the georgia tech uh <laughs> uniforms in the reveal i love it i mean i love to see guys like that especially people that didn't have much success uh in terms of football after after they leave tech uh, come back and, and model those uniforms and just still be involved with the program. Um, it was really cool cool to see. So do you like the new uniforms? I am a really big fan. I think, uh, I mean, Georgia Tech is never going to be, you know, the the Oregons or, you know, especially when, in terms of Adidas, so, someone like Louisville, you know, with chrome helmets or anything like that. But I think what they did was just the perfect middle ground between like flashy and, and simplistic. I, I really I really do like them. And they got rid of the hive, which was yeah. just awful. I, yeah, I really the, hated those. Did any fans like them? Um, so it was pretty much it was probably like seventy five twenty five. Um, the honeycomb helmets were definitely uh, more popular. Yeah, but the jerseys themselves, uh, I mean, you literally could have made those with. I mean, they were horrendous. Um, but the helmets, I was a fan of, uh, probably just because they were white. I do like the Adidas ones more. Mm-hmm. Um, without the, you know, without the honeycomb pattern on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of people, no one really liked the uniforms. The the helmets were kind of 50, 50. 
just depends on who you ask. But I'm definitely, uh, like you said, definitely a step in the right direction. The gold and white's perfect. I like the gold helmets. Just don't do too much. It's like Notre Dame today. We're recording this on a Thursday night. They re- they revealed their like. I saw gonna, them. Uh, what hideous. are you doing? They're they're hideous. I I, I think weren't the jerseys navy blue and then the helmets were black. Something that like is that, yeah. the worst color combination. The pants are like striped. Yeah, and they just looked. I, I'm I okay. So when Georgia Tech announced they were going to be you know in a deer school. Mm-hmm. I was happy about it, and I, I, for me, it was always between Adidas and Nike, yeah, which are the two top dogs. If you ask me, I just don't really like anything the Under Armour makes. It, I, I'm not sure why, but I'm I was definitely who does Under Armour nicely because you have Maryland, you have Notre Dame. Who else is Under Armour sponsor? I'm not even sure off the top of my head. It's not that many. Yeah, and Notre Dame's just their regular classic uniforms are fine. Oh, USF, just, they do good stuff with USF. I they do. Them, they yeah. do. They definitely do at, at South Florida. Um, but I, I mean, other than that, I just can't, the, like you said, those uniforms they revealed today were awful. And then if it's just, not broken, don't fix it. Like no exactly. one's ever complained about Notre Dame's uniforms. If there's one thing that I, that is always consistent about Notre Dame football, um, even though they have a quarterback that can't literally pass the football right now, <laughs> I know that if I turn into NBC, I'm going to see some great uniforms. Exactly. Is, I'm always going to like Notre Dame's uniforms. They always look great. Right, the traditional ones are, are. I mean, they're just that they're traditional. Exactly. But these yeah. ones, man, just they're, they're not cutting it. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but some actual football stuff. I think the most interesting thing that I've um, just doing the deep dives on every team and just trying to get a lay of the land and how everything's going to work. I mean, the ACC I think is going to be more like you have Clemson in tier one. I think Bill Connolly broke this down on SB Nation, kind of like okay, so Clemson's in their own tier right now. But right. then everything below them are really close. So, like, Virginia might finish with the worst record in the ACC this year, but they still might be pretty good. They might be, like, a 47th best team in the country kind of deal. Right. So the ACC has no superstars outside of Clemson, but Tech, I think, falls in that fold where it's, like, they could go 7-5, and five, but, like, be really close to what Florida State or Virginia Tech is this year. Like, what do you make of just, like, the jumbledness of – um, Georgia Tech this year and kind of where they stand right now with uh, the rest of the ACC outside of Clemson. Right. Uh, I mean, I definitely agree with you uh, as, as far as Clemson, you know, kind of being uh, on a tier of their own. Um, I think Florida State, you know, I, I listened to uh, to uh, one of your podcasts not too long ago. Okay. Uh, you were speaking with somebody about Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Ivins. Of yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I agree with most of what you guys had to say, but the thing about Georgia Tech for me, um, just it, it's it's always a toss up, and regardless of how much returning talent or whatever, because in terms of that, when you look at the season that Georgia Tech had in 2014, the best under Paul Johnson, arguably uh, other than 2009, um, and the best I mean in, in the schools since the Georgia Leary days, um, it wasn't no one expected it to be like that but in 2015 they returned so many players other than like a backs which is georgia tech's like main running back position other than mm-hmm. b back um so i mean in terms of a back pretty much everyone left deandre smelter left darren waller left so offensively it may have been a little bit shy uh in terms of the skill position um but defensively they returned a lot of guys and 2015 was shaping up to be you know, another repeat of 2014 year where they go and, you know, at least have a chance to compete for the ACC championship. And then, you know, they ended up winning the Orange Bowl in 2014. But you come out and lay a three and nine egg 
in 2015, the worst season that they've had since the 90s. It's like what happened in North Carolina this past year where they let a mulligan after so much progress the year before with Trubisky, and then he goes, and then they right. have a three and nine year. Yeah, it's it's weird. And it's always it's just always a big question mark for me. Um, and last year, you know, you finished five and six, but there's four games where you're up two scores in. Mm-hmm. And also, you don't get to play Central Florida. Of course, they ended up finishing undefeated. I was going to say, that, that may have ended up becoming a blessing in disguise. But the thing is, it's week three at that point. Yeah. They don't have the ball rolling. So there, there's a chance that, you know, you, you, you never knew. Maybe, yeah, we'll never know. So it's pointless to, like, go back. We, we don't know. Who knows? Right, yeah. right. But, I mean, you end, up, you end up only playing 11 games, which, of course, when you only win five of them, uh, it sucks because if you win that sixth game, then you're bowl eligible. Um, well, wasn't but, that the plan kind of last year? It was a rebuilding year. It was uh, a new quarterback finally, like Thomas, after 17 years at Tech, moved on. And um, it was Quan's team in the second half and that kind of stuff. And now you have a full year of him. So right. wasn't it just kind of uh, not a lost year, but just a rebuilding year? Where it's like if we make a bowl game, great. But uh, if not, if we're close, I mean, isn't that uh, I think, wasn't that I realistic? Think- yeah, I mean, it's, that's definitely realistic, but I mean, I'm not going to say that Georgia Tech fans ever hold the team to like a national championship standard or even an ACC championship standard. Of course, right. that's what, of course, that's what everyone wants. But in terms of realisticness, um, I wouldn't quite call it a rebuild. However, I mean, it, it, what happened last year wasn't out of the books by any means. Mm-hmm. But you lose, I mean, Taquan Marshall comes in, first game ever, gets thrown into the you know, into the Tennessee dog fight against Tennessee. Can we talk about that real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So I watched that whole game on the couch with uh, one of my roommates at the time. And I remember going in and I'm like, what are we doing? Like they have Normandy starting under center. I hate watching Butch Jones coach teams anyway. And then Tech's just going to play keep away. And the Bro. first half, it was just a running joke where we were just dying because I was like, oh, Tech got the ball back after a three and out with Tennessee. Tennessee's not going to get the ball back for another seven and a half minutes. Like right. time of possession stuff, it was a good drinking game to play. Like I highly <laughs> encourage people to do that when Tech's playing <laughs> uh, with the triple option, especially a good team uh, with a bad offense where they're like, oh, we're just going to we're going to keep the ball. And they but that's option football, man. I mean, oh that's that's what they love to do. Just run it down your throat. But Marshall took a for... beating. Like that was, I remember just like jotting down in my head. I'm like, he had like 30 carries, I feel like, in that game. Like he was taking a beating. By well, absolutely. He, yeah. he got destroyed. And, and he's he a actually, little guy. He's yeah, not he's a not, big dude. He's not He's not built like. He's not know. Nesbitt. Oh, absolutely not. Josh Nesbitt was like a running back. Like <laughs> he was built in a totally different frame. Like yeah. he's my size. Quan Marshall, I think actually he's got some pounds on me, but like I think he's five ten and no, maybe one sixty. He's definitely not a big guy. Definitely not no. the size. So he's not built to you know take you know forty carries a game and get absolutely demolished on some plays like he did. But the thing about it was, like you said, I mean he he showed out. He ended up he had a Heisman vote after week one. Of course, <laughs> it's week one. Yeah. But he had arguably his best game of the season. Um, but you I was know, sold on him after that. I was like, "Oh, I love this kid. This dude right. took a beating and just didn't complain. kept hop he he kept hopping back up. Like I was, <laughs> I was all about him. No, it was awesome. He definitely he surprised a lot of people in week one, and and that's just the thing. Like I said, you you have four games where you're you're down. Thir- okay, and this is another thing I wanted to talk to you about because during that Miami podcast, you talked about uh, and I agree with you uh, in terms of you said Miami could have you know like an eleven and one season. With the loss being to somebody that they shouldn't lose to. Yep. And I only heard North Carolina. 
And I understand that Georgia Tech and, and Miami, it's been rather one-sided, barring, you know, like 2014. Mm-hmm. But last year, Miami, literally, it was it was the game after the Florida State game where they won off the, you know, the crazy, you know, six seconds ago, whatever it was, pass. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was actually at that game. And then it was the same thing the next week against Georgia Tech. They're down two scores, and they end up coming back because a ball, a pass on fourth down – gets tipped off one of our guys' helmets and lands into the hands, the falling hands of, I don't even remember his name. I think he's number 80. Um, and then it sets him up to, to kick a game-winning field goal. Yep. And it's just, it's devastating to watch as a Georgia Tech fan, especially after the Tennessee game. But if you can avoid stuff like that happening, then, I mean, you have a chance of winning nine, ten games a year, mm-hmm. which, is, which is what happened in, in, in 2014. And, and even 2016, they won nine games and ended up winning a bowl game. So, I mean, as far as this year, uh, in terms of expectations. Um, I love that you were, like, a, a kind of offended. You're like, no, we can play spoiler. North Carolina? No, it's us. And I, more of it, for me, well, was like that North Carolina just has all these suspensions now to start the year. And right. just, they had, Larry Fedora, just, he should keep talking all the time. Like, unbelievable word vomit from him this offseason. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like. People are going to sleep on them, and they're going to do something stupid this year to get back into normalcy, um, depending on the quarterback situation. But Miami just does this. They lost to Pitt last year, and like I could see like Syracuse with Dino Babers maybe being the team. But Miami's going to lose a game they shouldn't lose, and it's going to cost them another playoff appearance and um, really contending with Clemson. But you're right. Um, Tech could be that team. And especially with it being a home game, it's Georgia Tech's wideout game, which is always Ooh, a, okay. a, great, a great turnout. Thursday and night last game? Time, what were you saying? Uh, Thursday night game? I don't think I think it's a Saturday, but it, okay. it's the it's the wideout game. Last time Miami came to town for wideout, we beat them twenty eight to seventeen. That was in twenty fourteen, though. Like I was saying, okay. our best season yeah. in a while. So I mean, if you ask me, and if if there's a trap game for Miami, that's got to be it. Um, I like but, it. Hey, I you mean, heard it here first. Georgia <laughs> yeah. Tech is beating Miami. Jared has called it. That is what's happening. The wideout game. Miami losing at uh, Georgia Tech. There you go. We'll, we'll revisit this uh, mm-hmm. when comes around um but yeah i mean just getting back to where we were it's always a it's always a toss-up uh for me clemson's on a tier of their own and and any team especially in the coastal is going to have a chance to compete to play an acc championship against them um i mean it's going to be up it's going to be between you know your virginia tech your miami and then there's always you know georgia tech or or even maybe north carolina right there in the mix but Mm -hmm. i don't I don't think North Carolina will be there. No, just. I think they're. I don't think they'd be good, but I just don't think they're gonna be three and nine again. Um, NC State still has Finley, so they'll be fine. They'll probably go eight and four, nine and three. NC State will hang around. Um, but with them Forest being in the Atlantic, Atlantic, yeah, say it again. With them being in the Atlantic, I mean, they have to get by Clemson to get to ACC championship. Well, not an ACC title contender. It's more of just like they're gonna be good. They're gonna oh be yeah, their team. That's like uh, I don't see them being bad, but no, definitely. Yeah, Virginia's kind of screwed. It feels like losing Ben Kirk and just. They're they're just not there yet. Broncos building, but they got a couple more years. Um, they yeah, might be a good was, spoiler team. And that's another devastating loss for Georgia Tech last year. I mean, <laughs> well, you, you lost to Kurt Benkert, the best young uh, backup quarterback the Atlanta Falcons have had in like 15 years. So <laughs> um, put some respect on his name, Kurt Benkert. <laughs> no, he he did play. He played a great game. He especially stepped up there late in the second half. But. I mean, that's just another another game where you're up by two scores. I mean, we scored on the first play of the second half. It was like a 70-yard run from, from Taquan Marshall. Yep. And, and then like a pick six on the next possession. 
And, you know, it's just something there's like 10 fans in the entire stadium over there in Virginia. And you think it's going to be an easy win, but, you know, you get your hearts thrown onto the ground again. So so how do you feel about Marshall right now? Do you think this is going to be a good – does he stay healthy for all 12 games? Do you, Are you at least somewhat concerned about his durability uh, for a full season or no? Um, I mean, you always have to be concerned, especially with how run heavy he is and how mm-hmm. much he doesn't like to throw the ball. Because if he's taking, you know, 30 carries a game, there's a good chance he's going to get banged up. Um, Whenever you have a quarterback they, that uh, makes Kelly Bryant look like um, Will Greer, you're a little <laughs> concerned. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And the thing for me is Georgia Tech just recently lost their second string quarterback uh, a couple of days ago mm-hmm. um, in practice. He ended up – they just announced he's going to be out for the entire season. Um, so they're very thin at quarterback right now. It's Marshall – and then you have uh, Tobias Oliver backing him up. And then you have James Graham, which is a true freshman. He was a four-star guy from Tennessee, but still, I mean, it's a true freshman. So the thing is, you got to keep Taquan healthy. He's gonna have to. He's gonna have to throw the ball a little bit more. It's just gonna have to happen. He's gonna have to pitch the ball a little bit more. That was the thing for him too. He got a little. More, he got a little more comfortable as the season went on. Um, but he wasn't. He wasn't making the right pitches and just hanging on to the ball when he shouldn't have been. But that comes with time. Like it was, he was exactly. the fire, and he's just—he's got the full offseason under his belt. It's his team. Um, you expect that kind of stuff to improve, right? Right, absolutely, and, and especially as far as throwing the ball goes, that's one area where he's, like I was saying, he he improved with the reads throughout the season last year. Um, but as far as the passing game goes, we never really saw much improvement there. Uh, I know he's been working this offseason on that. So I I, I, I like to call Marshall a lot. He's a great guy. And he's a great competitor, so I think I think he'll come out and he'll he'll definitely be able to throw the ball a little bit better. Uh, so I mean, as far as expectations for him goes, uh, if you, if you keep him healthy, he'll be able to do his job. It's going to be up to the defense, and I know that was one of the things you wanted to talk about. Yes, Nate Woody, the uh, the guy that everybody's talking about with Georgia Tech because Ted Roof is finally gone. Um, he's up in uh, Raleigh now, and I think at NC State, but yeah. um, he moved on. The Georgia Tech guy, and he was the DC for years and years. But now you got the guy from App State that everybody's fawning over. Like, is is the hype real? Are you expecting a really good defense right away? Like, what is it about Nate Woody that excites everybody? It seems like. Yeah, the Georgia Tech fans are definitely very, very excited to see a Nate Woody defense. Um, not, I don't, I don't think it's because he's like a, you know, like a huge, huge name or anything like that. But it's a completely different defense from how. I mean, here's Ted Ted Roof's defense. It's third and five, and your cornerbacks are giving the receivers 10-yard cushions. Oh, the it, Greg it, Williams defense. Yeah, it never made sense. And that's another thing in that Miami game, they bubble screened you to death. You would just get nickel and dime down the field for the entirety of the game. And that's why Georgia Tech fans are so excited for Nate Woody because very, very aggressive. He's going to send corners blitzes. He's going to, you know, and that's just something you never saw from Ted Roof. I think in terms of, like, tackles for loss or just sacks – Georgia Tech was near the end of all Division One programs uh, in those numbers, so it's definitely a very exciting thing to to introduce a, a lot more aggressive defense. I mean, Coach, he's a, he's a very high energy guy. Um, he brings a new intensity to the practice that I don't think Ted Roof brought. Uh, and he's got guys like uh, there was just a story recently from Brent Mitchell. He's a senior linebacker, um, and he's just talking about how everybody's worn out near throwing up after practice it's just a new it's kind of like a new intensity that he brings 
And I mean, it doesn't matter where you're at. That's something to be excited about. Who is who are you most excited? Like, kind of taking the next step in this defense. Who are some names to watch on that side of the ball? Um, well, there's a lot of young guys. Georgia Tech basically lost their entire secondary, so they had Lance and Lawrence Austin playing DB. They had Corey Griffin playing safety, uh, and AJ Gray. And all four of those guys are gone. Um, so some names that you can look out for, uh, and it's crazy because there's going to be a lot asked from this recent 2018 class, um, like uh, Charlie Thomas, um, Quez Jackson, he'll back up Brent Mitchell. I'm very excited for him. Uh, you know, Zamari Walton, uh, TK Chemeza, because I'm just trying to think of which positions we'll need him most. Secondary is going to be – okay, I'll just say, just to kind of sum it up, breakout players – Look for like a Johnny Kerr, who's okay. a, he's a sophomore cornerback, uh, and the reason I say him, so he didn't get too much playing time last year, but when he did, he made the most of his reps. Uh, in the Virginia Tech game, it was fourth down, and uh, you know they're a possession away from from winning the game, and instead of just going, I think it was like fourth and three or something like that. So they could have they could have tried to just you know do the Miami strategy and just bubble screen you for the three yards. Um, but they decided to go deep and, and, and go for the win. And Johnny Kurt, you know, being the true freshman, I, and I don't blame them for doing that because why wouldn't you pick on a true freshman? I think he was a two-star guy at a high school. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you pick on that guy in, in such a big situation like that? Uh, but he stepped up. He made the play. And I expect a lot more of that kind of stuff from him this season. Uh, so really just the secondary in itself is, is something that you're definitely going to have to look out for because it's entirely new faces. Mm-hmm. And a new so, scheme. Yeah, and a new scheme. So it's going to be exciting. Okay. So do you think – it looks like S&P Plus, so Connolly's rankings have them at like 6-6. Six and six. Do you think that's too low, or what are, you, what are you looking at? What is the What are you looking at as an analyst, and also what is the fan expectation for this team this year? Okay, well – Wins and losses-wise. Most people do know this about me. I, you probably don't. Is Before I ever covered Georgia Tech, I was a lifelong Georgia Tech fan. Mm-hmm. So, so saying things like that. Are always kind of frustrating. It's hard to be what you're saying. It's very hard to be objective here. Exactly, and, and even if it, I'll just I'll try and take all bias out. Um, but I think six and six is just a little bit low. Okay. Um, there's there's a lot of winnable games on the schedule, and like I was saying last year, if they can just learn to close out games, then you could easily see you know a nine ten win season. A ten may be stretching it a little bit because it, it, okay, you have Clemson and Georgia on your schedule. Well, they've been Georgia the last two times they've been to Athens. That's that is the truth. However, I just I, they're just taking they're just taking the next step. And somebody that's grown up hating Georgia my whole life, it pains me to say that. Um, but it's I mean it's undeniable. Their schedule is a cakewalk. So and, Georgia, like they're just gonna lose to somebody they should not. And my brother is a big Georgia fan, so it, it, we argue about this all the time. But I, um, people you think Georgia will? Uh, I think they're gonna lose to somebody. Like they're not going twelve and zero. They're losing to someone, and I don't know their schedule. It's tough, and the people that I have circled on their calendar of like, I think they have two choices. It's either going to be to Florida with Mullen in place now. Like if their quarterback situation gets solved, I could see Florida putting up enough points to beat Georgia, mm-hmm. um, kind of like Oklahoma did, and right. ended up just. That, yeah, I, no, I don't even want to revisit that. That game still it, drives me insane. Um, I agree, my man. Yeah, um, or Tech because I mean they have. Tech 
for whatever reason, when they go to Athens these last couple of years, they uh, they have success. And, and um, I'll tell you what, man, in that 2016 game, I, I literally in the third quarter, you know, Jacob Eason and them come out, and I think they score on the first two possessions, mm-hmm. take like a 28 to to maybe like seven or, or or 14 lead. So I'm, you know, I'm sitting there in my seat with my head down, you know, thinking they're about to run away with it. And mm-hmm. I don't, you just something, some there was a spark, and and the thing was. It's Kirby Smart's first year. Of course, being a, a former player for Georgia, he knows the you know he knows the rivalry pretty well. Mm-hmm. But I don't think a lot of the players did, especially not you know like Jacob Eason or anything like that. They didn't. They they just they kind of undermined it. And it, it, for Georgia Tech being the underdog, they're gonna. It's like like the saying goes, it's not the size of the the dog in the fight, but the size of fighting the dog. So I think they're also it, replacing it, a lot. Their whole secondary, like Georgia Tech, um, entirely new. Dominic Sanders after uh, just I think he played like the most games of anyone in Georgia's history I want to say I'm pretty yeah. sure he was there a ridiculous amount of time um, but they, they <laughs> lost everybody um, on defense and obviously when you recruit as well as Georgia does uh, they have guys who can step right in but linebackers Roquan's gone like they just have to replace a lot and by the time and running back yeah I mean they lost both Chubb and Michelle but they still have DeAndre Swift who might be the best of the three yeah. So um, I'm not we'll sure see. if that's a positive. And they got Demetrius Robinson now who's uh-huh. uh, got cleared. So, I mean, I'm not helping the case here of like whether or not Georgia um, is going to lose to Tech at home. But I am just – I'm firm in my belief that Georgia's losing at least one game they should not in the regular season. It's either well, Florida I, I wish I had that same – I wish I had that same confidence as you, man. Yeah. Um, what about Auburn? Auburn? People you keep saying the Auburn stuff. But like Auburn – on the road at in Athens has never been that great. Um, when they have them at home, I think there's it's Auburn's schedule is just a dumpster fire this year. So I, I just, it's not their year last year. It's was one of the shot. hardest in the nation, isn't it? Yes. And yeah. uh, I mean, they open with Washington. They have, I mean, just playing in the sec West is tough enough. Yeah. But having definitely. to go to Georgia and Alabama in the same year is just, it's uh it's going to be rough. So yeah, <laughs> that's definitely, yeah. it's definitely tough. Yeah, um, but um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I think yeah. those are good games to circle. You know, Florida, Florida and Georgia is always a good one. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, even though even though you know on paper it doesn't look like it's a good matchup, but Georgia Tech has had their number in Athens as of late. So you you really never know. Yeah. Um. Last thing, and then we'll go. So, <laughs> Tech. It's how many years do you think Paul Johnson has left? Because I'm always curious about this. Of, I mean, you have a new defensive coordinator, so. <laughs> Um, maybe that breathes new life into this, but um, do you expect Paul Johnson to be there for three to five more years? Like, what is the timeline for Paul Johnson? And well, he's just recently signed an extension yep. uh, in April through 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I give him at least until then. Uh, but the thing, Paul Johnson is not going to be at Georgia Tech for ten more years or whatever it is that that people think. Um, he's just he's not he's not the he's not the guy that's going to sign a, a four year five year contract whatever it was uh at 78 years old mm-hmm. <laughs> so so he's not going to bill snyder the program no absolutely not um i do think he's i, I mean I, I think he loves georgia tech and he, he likes what he does obviously uh he does get a lot of backlash from fans just because of the offense and recruiting um but you know those things have gotten better lately last year was probably one of his best classes if not the best class that he's brought in um I mean, of course, it's not great, but, you know, three, four stars is, is good for him in that mm-hmm. offense. Um, and it was mostly on the defensive side of the ball, but still. Um, I mean, he's doing all right so far for the 2019 class. But, I mean, j- I guess just to answer the question, I'll give him through that extension. And if they if they do another extension, it will probably be like 2025-ish. But I don't see him being there any longer than that. 
Okay. Perfect. So maybe like seven-ish more years tops. Man, 20 years of the option. I know. It's it's That's crazy to think about. I mean, it really has already been 11. Yeah, so, so I'm saying like that that puts him at around 20, right? Almost exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. It, it'll be close. It'll be like 18 years, but gosh, or 17. But uh, I don't know. Now that I look at it that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long time, man. It is a long time. So but maybe tech just fans moved these. on from the George Godsey can solve all of our problems as head coach uh, thing that I've just, I feel like I've seen that for like 10 years now. Like if we just brought back Godsey, we'd be back yeah. to contention. No. No, I, I, I don't hear about that anymore, thankfully. Okay. That's something. Because he got fired finally from Houston. Bill O'Brien yeah. removed him, so he Yeah. yeah. Well I don't I think it was a little bit of that and also just kind of just it it being a thing of the past. And I I as crazy as it sounds and I may get backlash for this, but I don't dislike Paul Johnson that much. Like I of course the offense is not ideal for recruiting whatsoever and even for It's also producing. a tough watch. It is tough to watch, but the thing, <laughs> I always, I always argue with people about that because despite the fact that you're they're, you're running up the middle twenty times a game, and you know you're passing the ball ten times a game tops, but you still they still have one of the highest scoring offenses, and they're sure. rushing for four hundred yards a game. So I mean, it just depends on what kind of football you like to watch. Well, I mean, they're good highlight things. So like when Marshall, like you're talking about, like that seven yard run when he breaks right. it, and when Thomas would do it every now and then, like then yeah. it's electric. It, that's what it is. It's like. They'll have those brief moments where you're like, "Oh my god, did you see that?" Yeah, that's absolutely. when it's that's when it's awesome. But those <laughs> other nine carries up the middle is what clouds that a little bit. Where um, for every boring play that happens three times as often, they have that one gigantic breakaway where you're like, "Oh, that was cool." Right, and I think you can expect a lot of that this year. So mm-hmm. if if that's something that you're interested in, then you know, tune into the Georgia State games, and, and hopefully they'll be able to give you what you're looking for. I'll say this: my roommate was he left at halftime. He was so mad. He was laughing at just like the time of possession stuff in that Tennessee game. But um, it's if you're not a fan, nobody's sitting through that. It's just <laughs> was he a Tennessee fan? No, he's actually a Miami fan. But, oh, okay. um, he was just he had no rooting interest. But I just was having fun with him. I'm like, oh, Tech just got the ball back. Tennessee yeah, is literally I mean, not going to touch the ball for another seven minutes. And I just, I think it was just, it was I don't a have it in front of me, but it was something like 18 minutes of time possession for Tech in that first half. It was something ridiculous like that. Well, I think, I think George Tech it. had the ball for 42 minutes that game. Yeah, it um, was unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> it was so, just mean. And they still lost the game. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, it, he was stunned the next day. I remember telling him about it. Like, no, Tech actually lost. What? How? Right, and yeah. it's a Monday night too in that game, so mm-hmm. there's nothing else for you to watch. So I guess uh, a lot of the nation probably had to sit through that one and and watch Georgia Tech, you know, run the ball up the middle. The, ba- the balance is like Auburn because I mean I'm an Auburn guy and Auburn runs the ball up the middle a lot too. I agree. They also, they spread it out a little bit more. It's like there's this fine balance where they still have Stidham who can go over the top when necessary and they do some RPOs and stuff like that on the outside. But like Carryon Johnson was so good outside the tackles and everything that you could balance that out with the Cameron Petway plays at the middle. But like right. Tech does all of one. Like you need to bring it up a little bit, but Auburn's offense a lot of the time does look like Tech's. Exactly. And that's one of my biggest arguments when people do say stuff about like negatively about how often we run the ball because it's it, of course it's not similar to Auburn's uh, in the sense that it's a triple option, but it, it, they are similar in how many times they run the ball a game. Mm-hmm. And Auburn is very obviously like a, a top program in the country. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and this, now did it with Jalen Hurts and like a lot of top programs do it. Something, I mean, Clemson last year was a tough watch uh, they, with Kelly Bryant because Kelly Bryant, who we joked about, um, not exactly the most efficient 
passer in right. uh, football. And it, that's a testament to Clemson that they can win a national title basically with a quarterback who doesn't throw the ball forward. Um, it's a bold <laughs> strategy, Cotton, but uh, they're going to try it until Trevor Lawrence uh, usurps him. But uh, we'll, we'll see if that happens. He's a good player, and he's definitely not going to do it. Well, I mean, he I wouldn't consider him a dual threat, but he, he's got some legs on him, but he's definitely a – he can throw the ball, that's for sure. Yeah. Shout out to Cartersville. Yeah, Always yeah. Always putting out the talent. The Cartersville – I think – what are they, Hurricanes? Purple Hurricanes? Yeah, they're the Hurricanes. Yeah. Um, yeah they're right around me, so I was able to, to watch him a little bit. There you go. See, I don't have that many Georgia natives like myself, so I can't um, make these references to high school football, which I'm glad is back this Friday. Um, I went to Parview. Where'd you go? Uh, I went to Northgate High School. Okay. In Coweta County. There you go. Coweta. So a, yeah, just south of Atlanta. Yeah, I think we used to play West Coweta back in the day. It may have been East Coweta. East Coweta, that's right. East Coweta, yeah. Yeah. Is it, what what uh, division is Parkview? Uh, I think they're the biggest still. So okay. what is that, 7A? Because they keep expanding the A classifications. Right, yeah, it's, seven, it's 7A now. It's like the top big 40-something or whatever they call it. But anyways, mm-hmm. yeah, I was able to, to see Trevor Lawrence a little bit. And I, I mean... It's hard not to be impressed with this high school stuff, but I mean, college is a whole different beast. So we'll be, we'll see. We'll see. It'll be fun either way. Well, good luck this fall. We'll for sure touch base again on the podcast. This was great. We can find you on Twitter at Jared House GT. We can read you at jacketsonline.com. Is there anything coming out this week that we need to check out? Uh, I mean, it, it just depends on if you're a Georgia Tech fan or not. We got a lot of things coming out for, for no, Tech fans. If you're a college football fan, you still need to be up to date on everybody. It's a lot of teams, but you know, you need to do your research. Be informed. Read yeah, if even if you're not a Tech fan. In that case, yes, definitely definitely uh, tune into the site and we'll have some good, some good reads for you. Okay. I'm hoping it's just a bunch of, remember when Taylor Bennett was our quarterback? That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> It'll be something like that. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, have a good one. All right, Jason Beatty, the UCF, uh, just super fan, super knowledgeable guy for the Knights, not the Gold Knights anymore. When did that actually change? That um, changed in 2007. Um, is it really been 11 years? Yeah, and it's it's almost crazy because it's always like there'll be some national article about UCF and everyone, all the fans are like, oh, they're talking about us nationally. And then you click on the article, it's like the Central Florida Golden Knights and it's like, Come on, guys. Like, it's been 11 years. And somehow there always seems to be an article, whether it's some sites have gotten better at just UCF, because it's just, you know, you never see when you look at LSU, you've never seen Louisiana State. You know, mm-hmm. so that's one thing, like, UCF fans have fought for a long time, but still, you somehow will see Golden Knights. And it's like, oh, like they did like a, they did like a special, even on like Sports Center a few weeks ago. They had uh, Shaquem Griffin on. They said Golden Knights, and it's like, mm. guys, come on, be better. So, yeah, they you dropped the Golden Knights since like Dante Culpepper, basically. Yeah, <laughs> but they dropped that officially in 2007. So, okay, is this has... like right before Bortles? Because I felt like they were still the Golden Knights for Bortles. I guess I'm. Uh, that's not. Right. I mean, just because you changed something in 2007, it, I mean, 11 years later, it's still being called Golden Knights. Sometimes it's rare now, but you'll still see it. Um, okay. Do the fans prefer just Knights? Or yeah, Knights. It... Oh, absolutely, just Knights. Because I feel, I feel like the golden part, from my perspective, it's kind of like gimmicky. It's almost like mm-hmm. Golden Knights. You know, it's like. <laughs> 
I it worked know. out for Vegas. Yeah, it sounds better for Vegas. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's the whole show behind the thing. Um, right. But everyone just likes UCF Nights, just plain and simple. Yeah. yeah. I mean, your the website that you write for, nights247.com. Yep. Very simple. Everything <laughs> about UCF is very simple. Um, but maybe people will take more uh, notice of the change if you guys went like a undefeated or something. That might help things. You would think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited to talk to you tonight because UCF is a team. I mean, although they beat my Tigers in um, the bowl game this past year, yeah, they it's amazing at, like that they haven't lost a game since they went 0 and 12, which is a weird thing to just say out loud. And like the chances of something like that happening, the kind of turnaround that Scott Frost did from the last year of Troy O'Leary, um, it still feels like we're just kind of overlooking how insane of a turnaround that is, especially how young of a team that was especially on the offensive side of the ball last year yeah obviously you had uh shakeem griffin who is now on the seahawks who was on the edge and doing a bunch of cool stuff and mike hughes is gone on the defense but outside of that like their offense i mean they were led by a true freshman and uh milton who everybody's talking about right now uh mckenzie milton is the baker mayfield 2.0 the hype's already starting there his 67 percent completion percentage last year um he was just a lot of fun. Um, you have multiple guys who can average like 6.7 yards of carry in the backfield behind him. Um, bunch of talent in the receiving core. I think you return every offensive lineman basically outside of the left tackle who yeah. graduated. But then again, you still have a guy um, that you can plug in there who has made starts for UCF. So um, it's just the offense is still super young. A bunch of underclassmen that are just a year older. And uh, you may have the best quarterback in college football this year. Like it's uh, UCF. They're... Um, it, it, they're fascinating they're gonna be fun and maybe the best part about all of this is uh according to S&P plus ratings by bill Connolly, you are favored in every single game this year yeah and also i think bill Connolly. i don't know if that's the same article or not but ucf returns 74 percent of their total production from 2017 it's not bad i mean that's if you're gonna win every single game and you return 75 nearly 75 percent of total production on both sides of the ball that's, I mean, that's that's a impressive turnover rate right there to to return all that. Coach, because Frost was only there for yeah. one year, two years, two years, or two years. Yeah, yeah. excuse me. <laughs> um, it feels like only one, maybe. It, uh, were you prepared after last year? Or was it just like that he's doing too well? Nebraska might come calling. Florida is going to open up. Like we just, we know we don't have. There was like definitely one. there was definitely a point in the season when they got to like seven and zero, eight and zero, nine and zero. And I was like, okay, once they beat, once they beat Navy, when you when you face a Navy, when you go on the road and you face a triple option offense, and you've already, because you gotta remember, the most amazing thing about this past season was when they asked Coach, when they asked Scott Frost after they uh, beat USF to play Memphis in the conference championship, and they said, if I told you at the beginning of the season the team would be eleven and zero, what would be your first reaction? He would say, well, where's the other game? They had a game taken off because of Hurricane Irma. So they got interrupted in the middle of the season, and then right. they went undefeated, that was which was even game, right. Yes, mm-hmm. they the the Georgia Tech game was taken which off. They never played. They've never played. Nope. They um that game was canceled. They'll be playing at Georgia Tech in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so and if for me, you didn't get into the playoff is you didn't play the full season, and you can't be a CFE playoff team if you didn't play the full season. Maybe that's no. the rationale. <laughs> possibly yeah um but for yeah. me it felt like once they got past navy it was like okay they're gonna win every single game i really there was a turning point where they said if they're gonna go this far and at that point you had heard rumblings 
oh, Nebraska is also bad. Oh, UCF's pretty good. It, it felt like a perfect storm for Scott Frost to go to Nebraska. I don't think, yeah, you can read reports about Florida um, and other schools, but I think it was either UCF or Nebraska the whole way through, and he ended no up going Florida. I really, I really don't think – I mean, I think there was interest there, um, but I think last fall we reported that basically if he was leaving wherever he was going, because there was also like Tennessee in the mix or something like that. Okay. Um, I, I'll believe it when I see it. That's like one of those the Tennessee just wants it out there. Like he was considering us. Um, yeah. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> he it's was just – I mean, that was just on dog. the list. Yeah, possibilities. Right. Um, but for Florida, the thing was – he wanted to bring his entire staff, and that's what he brought mm. to Nebraska. And he said, if I'm going anywhere, I'm bringing everyone. And Florida said, not here. Which <laughs> and is he said, weird. And he said, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Um, I, think, I think it was a perfect storm for Nebraska. There was about mm-hmm. – once they won nine or ten games, once they, once they said, okay, we're going to win every single game, and it just there was a turning point where it's like, yeah, he's not coming back next year. And, and, and it was – I think that was the crazy thing. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think if they had made the playoff, though, he would have stayed? No, I don't think so. Okay. I really don't. Um, I think it did, like you said, wow, it did. It was two years, and it, it really did feel like one quick year. I don't think anyone yeah. was paying attention to I mean, to they went 6-6 and six and then the jump. Yeah, so I should clarify. Yeah. They did, with, like, it, I was more of, like, the year gap, basically, between. Yeah, there was a year gap. Yeah. It, but no one thinks about the 6-6 six and six season. I mean, I yeah. remember asking Trey Neal, before the Auburn game, and I said, "What was more important, the six and six season or the zero and twelve season?" And he said, "Honestly, it was the six and six season because that's zero and twelve. Everyone just lost. I mean, mm-hmm. you talk about losing twelve straight football games. That team gave up. That team. I mean, you look at the six and six team to the zero and twelve team. There really wasn't many. There, you know, there were some people who graduated and some incoming freshmen. Obviously, Mackenzie Milton came in that year um, and won a few games." with going back and forth with Justin Holman that season. Um, but it that was the season, the 6-6 six and six season, kind of as Trey Neal told me, who now is transferred to Nebraska, but um, he basically said that's when everyone kind of came together and said, we're going to buy in. And then they bought in, and then they won every single game. And I don't know, I mean, obviously you look at what it took for them to go undefeated. Uh, double overtime, um, a couple... Last, I mean, the USF game was insane. Yeah, no, that's still insane. I think the crazy part about it is it was like back-to-back weeks of just insane football. You had USF 49-42, and then you go to double overtime with Memphis. And it was like, I really can't tell you which game was better because you had the perfect, you had a perfect ending with Mike Hughes returning it. And then you had say, double overtime game. Yeah, I would say USF just because – it felt like to me there were more theatrics to it because mm-hmm. the Memphis game was not guaranteed. Mike Hughes does not run that ball back. I don't know what happens in that two-minute drive. I would have to mm-hmm. guess they probably score, but I don't know how they would or whatever. Um, so I think the USF game was better of the two, right? Just because of that, the theatrics behind it. I mean, it was. It felt like a movie. It it it, it was, you know, it just felt like you were watching something just something Hollywood would make, you know, of course he ran it. Of course Mike Hughes found a hole and ran it back. The guy who was on campus August 15th. I mean, a year ago today, Mike Hughes had just walked on campus and now he's at the Minnesota Vikings first round draft pick. If you told someone that, that would be insane. I mean, he was at Juco. He, he went to UNC. Some things happened, played junior college a week, two weeks before regular season starts. He walks on campus by the end of the season. 
he has one of the greatest plays in UCF history. And that there were so many things that happened. Um, you know, just even when Scott Frost, when when we kind of figured out he's he's going, he's gone. It was just the last that month from December first to January first. That was just a crazy month. Um, preparing so let's say for the Nebraska season. and UCF schedule a home and home ten years from now, and he's still the coach <laughs> of Nebraska. Yeah. Does he get a warm reception? How do you see? I think he does. I really think he does because one of the, you know, one of the funniest things I've heard about George O'Leary is, uh, oh, UCF, you know, you think of George O'Leary, you know, the Fiesta Bowl and, you know, conference championships. And it's like, well, UCF, you can also put it this way. UCF has built a trophy, uh, a statue. Sorry. They built a statue for a man who went 0-12 twice. Mm -hmm. And that's also a fact. At the same time, yeah, he won a con. He won conference championships and they won the fiesta bowl over baylor but at the same time they went 0 and 12 twice and he was there for you know a long time a long time more than frost obviously many more years than frost and i i think you know i think that's another crazy thing because the fiasco or the resume everything after tech and then Notre Dame staff fell through and Mm -hmm. took the ucf job yeah yeah, he was there a long time. I want to say like twelve years. Yeah, ten, twelve years. I want to say yeah. as well. Um, Frost is still young. I mean, mm-hmm. he said, "I would not be surprised if you go, if you look in thirty years when Frost is actually like getting up there in age, I wouldn't be surprised if he came. I mean, you look at how old George O'Leary was coaching. If he even yeah. came back and coached at UCF thirty years down the line, forty years. I mean, people are like, oh, what are you talking about, Jason? But I." I he, I think he really did enjoy Orlando. I really do. I think as some fans might be angry at him, I think if he can, if they did schedule a home and home in three or four years, I think realistically they they give him a warm ovation. They give him a warm ovation. I mean, there's going to be some fans that are angry because. But isn't it part of it? He took the place. He took the job where he played. It's like one of those understanding kind of situations. Oh yeah, like I mean, taking Florida, I can understand where they would all hate him. Be like, exactly. really? It just but, up the road at yeah. an SEC school, and mm-hmm. that's why it was also a perfect storm for Nebraska. I think that's why a lot of UCF fans said, "Okay, we get it. We we understand. We we understand why." I mean, you look at if George O'Leary was forty years old in twenty fourteen, he's not returning in twenty fifteen. The only reason no one picked him up is because he was old. <laughs> he was an older coach <laughs> right. because. They want the young guys. I mean, not only is Scott Frost uh, one Look of the Les best coaches, yeah, Les Miles is just done. Like he's just <laughs> out now. And yeah. I think Fulmer did the same thing when he got let go at Tennessee. He thought he was going to get another job, and he never did. Um, nobody wants old coaches. Bruce Feldman was just talking about that with uh, Stu Mandel on the Audible this week. Um, just it's a young guy's game, and Scott Frost is one of the young guys. And now your new coach, another young guy. Yeah, um, uh, he's Josh a first year head coach yep. entering UCF. I think, I think there's pressure in him in the sense of he's a first year head coach and i think you'll see moments like that i mean i remember not only was the team not only did the team in 2016 buy in and then win every game in 2017 but i thought the whole coaching staff got better i mean you look at Mm -hmm. some of the the play calls he called in the first year he was there compared to the second year obviously you open your playbook more your second year than your first year no matter who you are but it'll be interesting to see Heupel as a first-year head coach. Um, I mean, obviously, he, as an offensive coordinator, he had the number one offense on the SEC. Um, They're fast. And if you look at the adjusted pace, I think uh, UCF had the 22nd fastest uh, offense with Frost this past year. But I yeah. believe Missouri was fourth. 
So you know that they're still going to do the pace and space stuff. And that's like D'Antoni of college football. So that's cool. Yeah. And that's why Danny White hired him. He wanted mm-hmm. someone because, like you said, if I I would have to say if if they lost, let's say it was the other way around, they're losing seventy four percent of total production from twenty seventeen. Yep. They probably don't hire Josh Heupel. They probably okay. don't go with UCF fast. But because they're bringing back so many players and they have majority of the roster from Scott Frost, they're just kind of replacing someone who also runs a similar offense, a similar a fast pace offense. Um, and but you still bring in a defensive coordinator like Randy Shannon, who still knows mm-hmm. Florida, who still has coach at every Florida school now. By the way, I know Miami, Miami, Florida. Florida. Uh, has he been anywhere? Maybe that's it. I don't know if he's don't been think a, he was at Florida State. I don't, I think, don't so. think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, so maybe that's next in the agenda. Yeah, maybe uh, in five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, possibly. But um, I have to say to your original question, I think if three in three years they go okay, let's do a home and home. Mm-hmm. I would say overall when UCF fans, if that ever does happen, I would have to say overall majority of fans would say thank you because yeah, I mean, he got them to troll Alabama. Like he actually pissed off Alabama by claiming they were the real national. It's great. Or co-national. He, yeah. he embraced it. So it's like, he still loves UCF. I think that's the whole thing. It's I don't like know if he, got to enjoy. I wouldn't say it just because it's UCF. I would just think because he likes being the anti system. Anti, right. you know. and that's why he didn't take the Florida job or any of these other SEC jobs no. and waited it out because he could have. Like he could have just waited oh, for one of the better jobs to open up. Easily. And Nebraska is going to probably be six and six this season, maybe five and seven. You know, yeah. if they do get the seven win, I don't, I don't, I don't know who Nebraska is playing out of conference, but their out of conference games probably can't be too tough. Well, they're I changing mean, their whole scheme because Mike Riley did the pro style stuff. And yeah, it's just a lot of change, a lot of turnover. Um, but expectations are low in Nebraska. Like if he's yeah. taken Florida or something like that, or Florida State or whoever, oh, like it would have been national championship or bust. Yeah, or bust. <laughs> a lot more pressure. Yeah. Um, I will say though, it's still too early. But if I had to like look into my crystal ball and like just guess whether or not Scott Frost ten years from now looks back on his decision to go to Nebraska now as a mistake, I would probably lean yes. Um, I think he'll. It was obviously a nostalgic pick for him but i do wonder what nebraska's ceiling is in the current college football climate and if jim harbaugh d'antonio wisconsin stays at what they're at with paul christ um i mean we don't know what's going to happen with urban meyer and everything else but we also sure. know that like ohio state's always going to be a dominant ohio program state. yeah yeah and penn state now still is uh, they're a top 10 program trace now. mcsorley yeah yeah they're- so i kind of wonder he he has a lower ceiling than at Florida or even Oregon who had an opening this summer um, or this uh, past year. Yeah. I wonder if he'll look back at like, you know, this was my school. This is where my heart is, all that kind of stuff. But if I had taken that Oregon job or I took Florida or Florida state, we don't know if he was offered and how real that all would have, we don't know this, the, the intricate details there and whether or not he had those options. But I will say it, it does feel like Oregon Florida, Florida State have a much better opportunity of winning a national title over the next five to ten years. I think if you gave, I think if you gave Scott Frost and you went to him and said, "Hey, Nebraska's good this past season," he probably if if you said to Scott Frost, "Hey, you can stay at UCF one more year because Nebraska was good this past year and we haven't fired Riley yet," I would have to say he goes, "Okay, I'm fine with that. I really do because I think he Hmm. would. I think he." still roots for UCF. I think he yeah. wants UCF to go undefeated again. I think he wants UCF to 
upset in the college football playoff if they do go undefeated again. Um, I think, but at the same time, I don't think he could have said no to Nebraska because it was, it's his home. I mean, he's, he is Mr. Nebraska. He's their, their, their perfect child. You know, he has, he grew up there and he played quarterback there and he won a national championship there. It's like he kind of, but at the same time, the thing with that is he maxed out a UCF. Yep. Realistically, Re- like right you never now, have a season like what you just had. Right? You can't do any. You literally, unless the college football playoff changes, you will not make it as a group of five school. Unfortunately, and I think that's mm-hmm. that's 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 the truth. Whether it's fair or not, um, you've maxed out a UCF. So I think. Whether he could have gone elsewhere, I'm not sure how he felt about that. I think he knows he's not going to do well at Nebraska. But where would you rather have more pressure? At your hometown, your home state school, or University of Florida where fans can love you one day and hate you the next? You know, I think if, tough. if Scott Frost goes 6-6 six and six the next three years, I don't think he will. But if let's say he goes 6-6 six and six the next three years, he won't be fired because he's right. at Nebraska. And they're going to go... He's got carte blanche. Yeah. Oh, he's got... Plenty of legroom to work with. Um, but if that happens at University of Florida or FSU or Oregon, he's gone. They're going to say, oh, you're just, you were just really good at But that's really the nature of a job like that. Yeah. A top 10 program. Like, Nebraska hasn't been a top 10 program in over a decade. Like, like that's... Yeah. Even though he's returning home, the last time Nebraska was good was when he was there. Really, <laughs> to that national championship level. Yeah. Well, hold on. Good. Put some respect on Eric Crouch's name. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. I'm on green. What's he up to? Uh, who else is on those teams? I don't even remember. I remember. Do you remember the Colorado game to end the year uh, when Chris Brown ran all over Nebraska at home in that late uh, season game that ended Nebraska's uh, season, basically, when they were like number two? Yeah. In the country? Were, yeah. Yeah. That's when Nebraska was relevant. That's like the last. Fair memory, enough. Like Frank yeah. Solich, who has been in Ohio for like a decade now. That tells you all you need to know about like where Nebraska is these days. Exactly. Yeah. I think. I think um, I think at the end of the day, if you asked him to make the right decision, I would say yes. But I think in three or four years to see, I, I'll be curious. I mean, for me personally, I'll be rooting for Scott Frost because, I mean, I'll I it's not like I I think we all should. Like, yeah, it's college football just feels better when Nebraska's good. Absolutely, absolutely. Um. So, what are your expectations for year one of Josh Heupel? Like, do you think? I mean, they are favored in every game. Like. Um, if you were trying to explain or forecast what this season's going to end up being for UCF, is it the same kind of year as last year? Should fans expect undefeated? Like, what would you, uh, how would you pinpoint uh, how this goes? I mean, going undefeated once is mm-hmm. really difficult. <laughs> going undefeated two two years in a row is even harder. Um, mm-hmm. it doesn't ha- it doesn't happen. I mean, you look at the past eight years the two teams have gone undefeated are UCF um FSU in 2013 what year was that I don't remember um and Alabama at Memphis feels like the most difficult game for you guys yeah at Memphis um I think early on I felt like like for this past season it felt like to me like when they came back after the Hurricane Irma break um and they played at Maryland that was, I think that game is bigger than every, that is this bigger than, was bigger than people think. Um, cause if they, if they lose that, I don't, I don't know what happens in the season, but, um, you know, FAU 
home game. If FAU beats Oklahoma, that game is pretty big. Um, it'll be interesting to see how good FAU is in the first couple of weeks as well. At Memphis is obviously difficult. Navy at home. Um, you know, and then obviously even even if USF isn't the best, you know, because they have quarterback competition like crazy right now, um, trying to replace their previous best quarterback of their program. Um, a USF game is also big because it's it's just, it's on the road. It's on the road. Um, but Memphis is huge. FAU is big early on. I don't think they're going to have any trouble with UConn, South Carolina State, maybe maybe Pittsburgh, just because. But because they're annoying. Yeah, maybe just maybe because Pittsburgh, and it also depends how they do um, in the previous weeks. Like if they get trounced by FAU, which I don't think will happen. I was going to say, I feel like FAU is the sneaky one. Just it is. FAU is definitely last year. Yeah, yeah. they went undefeated in the <laughs> USA, and uh, it's Lane Kiffin, and they have a bunch of five stars now because. Everybody who everyone just Alabama. said, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, FAU is it's sneaky. A good system. Yeah, FAU is sneaky, but I think their schedule, UCF schedule. If you gave me last year's schedule and this year's schedule and said which year goes undefeated, I would have uh-huh. to say this year's schedule, just because. I mean, right. you get to play UConn in August at <laughs> UConn. That's that's amazing because just the temperature outside. Um, and then you get South Carolina well, State also, at home. You get to play Randy Etzel in 2018, which is always fun. Yeah. Besides football, just playing in warm weather at UConn is mm-hmm. more beneficial than playing them in November or October. Um, and then you get three straight home games. You go to Memphis and then East Carolina. The two, Those two back-to-back road games will be interesting. Even though it is Memphis and ECU, Memphis will be more difficult than ECU. And then you finish off the season. With, you have a bye week, and then you have – home, 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 and then you go only to Tampa, like right. that's that's obviously going to benefit uh, UCF. They don't have to travel much, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Do you think I there's don't... any chance though that Milton has a Heisman run in him? Do you think he's gonna get enough national exposure? I think he schedule? does. I think okay. he I think he does. Um, and partially because his his stats will show. I don't mm-hmm. know if can he get the seventy percent completion percentage this year. It'll be interesting to see because I think a lot of fans, you know, their main receiver they lost was Traquan Smith. And Traquan's at with the New Orleans Saints now and just doing his thing. Um, and you look at what Traquan did in practice with the Saints and this past in his first preseason game, it's like, wow, Traquan is he's I mean, he was a professional football player in college. I mean, you saw him run and catch, it was like, yeah, that guy's playing on Sundays. Um I'll be interesting to see how the wide receivers develop they have they're loaded there's they're stacked with talent um on paper um and majority of the dudes last year who you know you trey was the main receiver but you also had marlon williams and now you're bringing in trey nixon i mean that's just they i think he said the other day he feels like a kid in the candy store um mckenzie said that the other day um mm-hmm. because of because of how many options i think he i think he um if his wide receivers are going to be there and actually step up and play like play like they did last year, um, I seriously think he has a good shot at being in, in contention at least for the Heisman. Um, it's I think amazing that Heupel's two quarterbacks are probably the two favorites right now at the yeah. position. Drew Locke. Uh, Drew Locke, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be interesting if the battle comes down to two of his guys. Yeah. 
Um, I would have to say if he does better than what – I mean, he, he – he threw for over 4,000 yards. Um, he's number one returning quarterback with points responsible for game, passing efficiency, second quarterback in passing yards, second quarterback in passing touchdowns, um, completion percentage, second quarterback, total offense. Like on paper, it's like, how is this guy not going to be in contention for the Heisman Trophy? Mm-hmm. Um, I think if he, if I think if he improves on his stats, and he's he's going to have to have. A Heisman moment. I think every quarterback will have a Heisman moment. So let's say it's at let's say it's at Memphis or at yeah. USF or against against. Or brings them back from FAAU. Yeah. yeah. Let's say they're down. Let's say they they're down somehow three touchdowns at halftime, and he they mm-hmm. he goes back and throws for five touchdowns. That's that's a Heisman moment right there. Um, so I he think needs a moment. He needs a couple. I think because because at the end of the day. Drew Locke's going to have a great season. Trace McShore is going to have a great season. All the Power Five quarterbacks are going to those, you know, Jared Stinham is going to have a great season. Tua Till, I can't say his last name, but Tua. Tagovailoa. Yeah, the other the other I think I think it's Tagovailoa. The other Hawaiian quarterback. Um just say Tua time. We just can go with Tua. Think for the first part, easy. Yeah, Tua. Yeah, Tua. Um, they're all you already know they're all going to put up over four thousand yards and over nearly forty touchdowns, but. The difference is McKenzie has to prove that he is one of the best quarterbacks again. Um, not only, he didn't just have a good 2017 season; he is building upon that season, um, and he has a moment or multiple moments. Well, I'm uh, sold because Baker Mayfield's my guy, and uh, I love seeing a a new Baker come into the fold. Uh, yeah, they're the same size. <laughs> yeah, G5 Baker. Can yeah. he brand himself as that G5 Baker? Maybe. I would. I think. I, I think uh, what they're doing right now with the hashtag Heisman with the capital H I for Hawaii mm. is great. Um, they sent out a bunch. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but they sent out a bunch of uh, Hawaiian lays to all the voters, which I did not is know that. yeah. They actually. I don't know how many people vote for the Heisman. I, now that I think about that, I'm not entirely sure. But basically, mm. they sent out um, like a like a chart with all like some information about what he did in 2017 and how he's like the number two record, returning quarterback and number one, a bunch of statistics. And they sent out lays because the whole thing is the Mackenzie Milton for Heisman because he's from Hawaii, obviously. So they have the capital H with the capital I. Um, and that's the campaign they launched for him. Um, okay. And I think the voters like that. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little cheesy with the lay and stuff, but um I know he likes that, and I think it's anything you can do uh, to help his campaign. I mean, he, regardless of what you do, he has to go out and prove it on the field that he can do this again. Um, and I think that's one reason why I think Josh Heupel is happy coming here because it's like <laughs> he just can just run his. He can do a lot of the, a lot of the system is just going to run through McKenzie. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's not like he Josh Heupel has to. It's not like Josh Heupel has to fix something. He just has to keep doing what they're doing. There's no problem for Josh Heupel. I think if anything faults UCF this year, it's figuring out the roles on the offense, like I said, with the wide receivers and the running backs and stuff, Um, because there's no problem. There's no quarterback problem. As long as Mackenzie Milton stays healthy, they have no quarterback issue at all, I don't think. I think he'll be perfectly fine where he is. Um, The defensive side will be interesting to watch them replace 
Mike Hughes and Shaquem Griffin. Um, I, th- I think they'll be fine there still. I don't know if they go undefeated because it's hard to go, like I said, it's hard to go undefeated once and it's more difficult to go undefeated two times in a row uh, just because you have a target on your back. You know, every team is going to give them their best. So, yeah, I think realistically, I don't see them losing more than two games. And if even if they do lose one game, it's it's going to be it's not going to they're not going to lose. They're not going to get blown out. Like if it's going to be a loss, it's going to be close, whether it's a last second touchdown or a last second mistake, you know, if they do lose. All right, Jason. Well, this was great. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk about some UCF because it's it's going to be a good year. And I hope Milton does a lot of cool stuff. And I'm here for G5 Baker and yep. uh, everything there. Like they're just gonna be fun. They're a pace and space kind of team. Hypel is gonna exactly up where Frost left off. They're gonna win a lot of games. They're gonna be fun. And when you're on Saturdays and you're like, okay, I need to find a game to watch. Like just turn to UCF because just I turn to UCF because they're gonna put yeah, up a lot of points. Go. Yeah, they're gonna put up a lot of points and they're gonna play fast pace and they're gonna spread it out and it's gonna be entertaining. Right. So. All right, man. Well, we can find you on All Twitter right. at the real BD. We can read you at nights. 247.com um so go do all that keep up with ucf this fall and read jason's great work yep thank you all right the podcast continues on tonight on the thursday night episode of the chase most podcast and on the line right now Maxwell Bombach of RBR Wrestling is here, and Maxwell, I just, um, Tanahashi, my guy, he won the G1 Climax again. He's like 47 years old, but the man, he keeps doing it. I also think that this Hiroshi Tanahashi is the best Hiroshi Tanahashi. I would agree. He's fantastic. Well, I think it's kind of one of the more controversial opinions that I hold because a lot of people sort of considered the beginning of this new Japan peak to have started during Tanahashi's sort of initial ace run. And I kind of like, you know, post-divorce dad Tanahashi, like struggling, (laughs) not really being the ace, being the guy behind Okada. I found him a lot more endearing in this role and just kind of see him get back to potentially the Wrestle Kingdom main event. He's going to defend the briefcase or whatever, but to see him get back to the Wrestle Kingdom main event is this character is really endearing to me. And I've never felt more attached to Tanahashi as a character. And to me, that's made his matches pop even more. Yeah, I mean, this match against Kota Ibushi um, in the final was it was physical, like him hulking up, though, mm-hmm. when Ibushi just kept hitting him and him just getting a- angrier and angrier and bigger and bigger. Like the size differential was bigger than I thought it would be. Oh, I mean, for Ibushi's- sure gotten bigger from like he's even bigger just if you watch some of his cruiserweight classic stuff from just a couple years ago mm-hmm. he's a lot bigger now but he's still just nowhere close and i remember you guys were talking on rbr um before the g1 started about who would be considered the favorites because we should clarify if you're not a big new japan person um well first you should become one because it's fantastic yes. but um the g1 climax is the money in the bank for new japan but it's also just this long tournament featuring a bunch of great matches although i was uh, we can talk about Okada, who's my my favorite in Japan, <laughs> and some of the stuff that he's doing right now that I'm, uh, eh, I'm a little iffy on. But um, Tanahashi is an older guy, and they usually like to um, go with the younger guy who they're like thinking about um, giving 
the next like long title run to it's something or, that yeah, they want someone who's, they want to push a young guy yeah. there's just no one there though and i don't think abushi um fit that for me i don't think he's ready. i i think abushi is 100% there and i think abushi okay. proved it throughout this entire tournament and i think part of what i i don't know i i what do you like about Ibushi? What makes you what screams top New Japan guy for Ibushi? I think the biggest things are his emotion that he's able to portray in the ring. I think the matches he had throughout the tournament, I think in ring, there's no question that he's there. But I really think that the crowd is emotionally attached onto him, especially if yeah. you look at like the matches with Ishii, um, the match with Juice Robinson. Like those two stick out to me in particular from this year's G1 as far as matches where it became very clear that the crowd no longer looks at Kota Ibushi as a fun you know, mid to upper mid card guy that they like. I think they were ready to go all the way it's in. It's like Shibata from a couple of years ago before he got injured, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, but I think Ibushi has even more steam than that because I think, I think people are intrigued by the idea of Ibushi kind of settling down. Ibushi has sort of been this wandering performance artist throughout the world of professional wrestling in some days who's never mm-hmm. signed a long-term contract anywhere. And I think... Abushi seemed like he was finally going to get settled down and, you know, marry a nice woman and have a, a <laughs> desk job, so to speak. And I mm-hmm. think he I don't know. I feel like all the criteria is there. I feel like he has it. But I was astounded by how content I was with Tanahashi winning still. And I think that's okay. merely just a test. I think it was the right move, though. Ultimately, Tanahashi outside did. of your own personal preference for Tanahashi's character right now, do you think it was the right move to put this on him over um abushi i i would have done abushi personally okay um but i didn't either think it, are gonna be omega at wrestle kingdom i don't know that ta- i don't know what wrestle kingdom could possibly be still to be honest with you i mm-hmm. i've never felt more like there's gonna be major changes between now and wrestle kingdom because wrestle kingdom's not until january 4th like people right. forget there's a lot of time and typically i think people overlook that because in the past Whoever won the G1 has taken the world title match at Wrestle Kingdom. And whoever is a champion at the end of the G1 holds the belt until then. Mm-hmm. But I just, I don't feel like this is it. I can't. So you think Omega could drop it? Before? I could, I could see Omega dropping it. I could see Tanahashi losing the briefcase as long as it's not Jay White. As long as Jay White stays out of the Wrestle Kingdom is, main yeah. event, I am interested and intrigued with whatever they do. But I don't. I don't know. I'm not ready to condemn this decision yet because I thought that Naito not beating Okada was a bad move at Wrestle Kingdom. That I was wrong. Oh, I disagree. But um, yeah. yeah, I ended up being Naito wrong. is the most interesting G1 winner of all time, right? Because he like from by all accounts, he is like a wrestling genius mm-hmm. and he knows how to lay out just matches and he's great. But the reason his entire his spinoff of the AAA uh, uh, group that he turned into a new Japan group um, spun off and he was because the fans rejected him and like that whole poll. um, And he got put in the semi main event for the world title because they didn't care enough about him. Um, I think the intercontinental main evented that. Yeah. Yeah. That was your IC title main event idea. Yeah. So I think there is something there with Naito um, that just never clicked. And it's, it's funny how certain things, um, certain guys, no matter how good they are, and the ring, no matter how much it makes sense that they're like, okay, this person should be the next mm-hmm. top guy. The fans just like booing him. It was bizarre and it took them. But you know what? It's cool that they did that because you know who wouldn't have done that? The WWE. 
That's they would true. not. They're like, nope, we're staying the course. Yeah. Fancy if you don't like it or not. Like, no, to New Japan's credit, they were like, this obviously is not working. This is not what they want. Um, we were wrong about him as a top guy. I mean, Naito's still great. I still like Naito, but um, I it is interesting. Well, it's also how interesting too works. how like that's kind. Naito's whole career has kind of been like getting dumped on by the fans and then using that to his advantage. Yeah. Like, because even in Mexico, the whole like taunt that he does where he opens up his eyes or like he opens up his eye with his fingers that comes mm-hmm. from being heckled in Mexico for being Japanese and, and having narrow eyes. So he started to do the thing where he'd open up his eye at them to mock them when he came back there and joined LIJ, because when he was a young boy there, people would mockingly throw racist comments at him for being Japanese. When he came back and was with LIJ, that's when he started to do the eye opening thing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like interesting that basically every turn of his career has been predicated on him being dumped on undervalued and then him ending up being really successful as a result but he's still never gotten to the top of the mountain i mean he he held the the title for like a two was it two months that he was it was very IWGP heavyweight champion like he's never been the guy um and he never will i don't think so point, he's just not going to be yeah but there is someone in his group that prior to g1 who was like who would have I think he's one of the next guys that I would probably probably. That's up right, Sonata. folks. Bushi. No, um, <laughs> no, no. I, I'm a big Sonata guy. I I hate how I love Sonata. He, he's probably my. Favorite. I hate how loose he applies the Dragon Sleepers and the Paradise Lock sometimes. But okay, I or the yeah We're getting in the weeds not, here. But yes, like, what, what am I? What am I doing? It's been a long day. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I I hate how light he is. We with have that. a four hour podcast, so I need you to get right okay. Back. I'm I'm on it. Yeah. Uh, I don't like how loose he is with that move. And that's like the one thing to me that prevents me from seeing Sonata in that role right now is that I need him to have a better finisher because everyone in new Japan has an awesome finisher. And for Sonata's to be like a loose sleeper hold variant. I need, I need a little bit more, but I think he's great. I thought he had a tremendous G one. He had the G one this year. I was hoping you'd have last year because last year I was hoping he'd break out. This year, I thought he delivered with everybody, and the crowd's really getting behind him at this point. Who are you most excited about outside of? Uh, so it seems like it's Coda that everybody's starting to jump on. But like, who is there any other young guy that you're like? You know what? Because this feels like a kind of a lost year, and I wonder too if like Tanahashi would have done this if um, Shibata had not gotten hurt. Part of this feels like because it did seem like they were going to start to. He was the next guy in line like he it's a lot that's of interesting yeah him. i do yeah um it was sad like he came back he like just him in the ring uh just falling backwards yeah <laughs> just it was he got a gigantic reaction like he is still super over um but he's now what isn't he like the full-time coach in the la dojo now that could be i know he was at least there for a while but i don't they're very secretive i feel like about what goes on in that dojo like, I don't know. Who's but once you knew that Tanahashi was coming there. out with him, I was like, oh, this is happening. He's doing this. And they're not going to do Omega versus Ibushi yet. I, for the yeah. Time. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I As far as young guys that I, I think are ready to break through, as far as like foreign talent, I think. Outside of Jay White, obviously. Ugh. As far as foreign talent goes, I like Jay. I like, I almost said I like Jay White. <laughs> You're about to say I like Jay White. You do like you Jay White. You put bad so thoughts You're a liar. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like Zack Sabre Jr. a lot there. I think I enjoyed him as a heavyweight in New Japan exponentially more than I expected to because I like hmm. just his aggressive Carlos Condit-esque style that he's 
put on into professional wrestling where he's always attacking, always striking, always looking for submissions. And he's a pest. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's really great. I like Juice Robinson a whole lot. I think he's way better than people realize it's still. It's amazing how good he is. Um, but as far as sort of native New Japan talent, I feel like they're kind of in a lull because I feel like it's right. they haven't had a lot of younger heavyweights who've come up through the New Japan system. There's Evil, mm-hmm. who I, I don't think is there. But, I mean, Sonata was like a, a I mean, Buddha Sonata's guy. guy. And yeah. I, I think Sonata's not a great probably the closest. Is it Tamatanga? No, absolutely not. I <laughs> I really couldn't stand the Tamatanga performances throughout throughout the G one. People are starting to gravitate towards him. But I, I really think if guys like Oka, if Kitamura is gonna be around, like I, I really hope that this next crop of young heavyweights for New Japan pans out because there aren't a lot of younger Japanese heavyweight prospects at the moment in the company. So I think they need to put the belt back on Okada for another three years. I I I know that you're not big on what Okada's doing, and I understand it. I I can the balloons and just the like over it. the top is just I, I don't I'm not a fan. I okay I love Okada, but I'm kind of enjoying this breather of Okada not having the title, and I like the sense of mystery that surrounds the product to a point. I like feeling as if I can't miss a New Japan show or like I have to avoid spoilers for it. Because for, mm-hmm. before, for a good like year and a half, it felt like, oh, well, Okada's going to win. And even when he lost the belt, it felt very inevitable. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of enjoying this different feeling of the New Japan main event scene and not knowing what the hell can happen. And I wouldn't mind I mean, if this continued until about right? Dominion or so. Because Omega has had it for 67 days. Mm-hmm. Jericho, 67. Juice Robinson, 39. Young Buck, 67 takahashi 67 like Uh, yeah when you're talking about like a lot of change before wrestle kingdom in january it's like a lot of these guys just won the belt anyway yeah like it's the turnover is fascinating because it i mean i I don't think we should assume that jericho is going to have the ic title for very long but also Um, like maybe he will because like he's just not around (laughs) just the brock lesnar deal where it's Mm -hmm. like you can't lose the title if you're never there i mean when is he coming back have they pinned anything down for him that's a good question probably not um so there you go maybe that's not what's going to happen um wouldn't surprise me to mention matt jackson though as the heavyweight uh of the future in new japan he's getting up there in age now he's 33 (laughs) that's true they are the uh the they're getting closer to becoming the middle age bucks but Mm -hmm. well not nick nick's significant he's sneaky i think think he's still like 29 or something yeah he's one of those guys that just makes you feel bad about yourself because it's like man like I, he's, like he's done a lot at 20 my age yeah and he's done so much more than me but yeah i i don't know i like the young bucks in the heavyweight tag team picture because i think it spices things up but the the heavyweight tag team picture is always just kind of iffy so that also makes the tag league kind of interesting this year too because it'll be intriguing to see who they pair with the young bucks when the tag league is usually the worst part of the new japan calendar <laughs> that's fair um any final g1 climax thoughts uh i thought ishii had a really great tournament i think we'd be remiss if we didn't point out how excellent he was throughout the entire thing Mm -hmm. and he's omega's next challenger right Uh, yes yeah i think that's that's the next match for him and then tanahashi was gonna who did he was he defending the briefcase against jay white if i'm remembering correctly oh god is that i thought i remember that being the thing but okay I, i don't want that 
Can you imagine if he does lose it to Jay White? I would be so upset. I, I really just and I and the thing is, I really love the character of Jay White. But I just I, I I can't I can't like I can't buy into him as a main event performer in the ring yet. And his charisma is not there. If you were to tell me that CJ Parker was going to be 10 times more enjoyable and more interesting in New Japan than Jay White just a couple years ago, I would have laughed in your face. I was never a big Jay but White Juice guy, Robinson. But I, but I also did yeah. think that Juice Robinson stunk, and I was shocked right, when yeah. New Japan like brought him on board. But it's also like one of those reminders where it's like, I'd like to see more guys just make that jump and more guys just take a chance like Mm -hmm. wwe is just too populated right now yeah there's too many guys there's not enough spots like shelton benjamin just appeared again on smackdown this week Mm -hmm. um randy orton barely finds time he just peers around the curtain that's his role now every three weeks and you never know who's going to be on the show who's not like there's just not a lot of opportunity like they're signing Mm -hmm. too many guys that's why like matt riddle coming into the fold and we didn't really talk about him because he's a guy um talk about a transformation over like a five-year span like and someone who worked really well as Zack saber jr yeah uh previously i would watch a Zack saber jr versus matt riddle match every day for sure for the rest of my life there's so much fun but um he's there's rumors that he's gonna be inserted into the takeover main event that's how they debut him um against because alistair black obviously can't go um versus champa and gargano but I just I look at that and I'm like, but look who's below him. You still have Adam Cole. You still have Ricochet. You still have Velveteen Dream. You still have EC3. You still have all these guys. And then, oh, you're going to call them up? Oh, where are they going then? Look at who's on the main roster right now. Look at just there's no room. And they keep yeah. signing guys. So, well, I mean, I don't like think about. Feeling, yeah. Think about like Donovan Dijek, who got signed, you know, a year ago. And like his. They just changed his name. Barely yeah. made a dent. Like it, mm-hmm. the, the issue was. And, and I, we talked about this a little bit on RBR yesterday. When WWE kind of went on their big indie hiring spree over the last year, I think a lot of people, including myself, thought, hey, this is going to be fine because they're going to sign, you know, the top tier of indie guys and the sort of middle class will move up and then the guys below them will move up and then you always got new guys coming along and training and what have you. But they kind of signed at the top and middle class at the same time. And no, there are no indie wrestling careers anymore. It just feels like Mm -hmm. guys kind of blow up and then get signed like Keith Lee and you know, die Jack and even riddle. Who's like had a very sort of memorable indie run. Like he's been an indie name for maybe two, three years. Whereas guys like, you know, Danielson and even like, uh, you know, Samojo or Roderick strong, like those guys were outside of the WWE and had, you know, nearly a decade or so of, yeah. of building up their name and their reputation. And I, I think it kind of does a disservice They're to everybody polished. because I think yeah. you, you're bringing in guys that are a little bit less polished, especially now um, mm-hmm. you're bringing in guys that haven't had the chance to work through a lot of their kinks to fully develop. You're putting them in a situation where they're not going to get the ring time to be able to really get the rest of their polish. And I also think it hurts you in a way too, because if you look at the fan commitment to guys like CM Punk and Daniel Bryan and what they were able to build up over the years, it was because people saw them struggle and, and come along and they really wanted them to get to WWE. We're now like, you There's don't even get the chance to it. want someone to go to WWE because exactly. they get signed so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like we already just went past Matt Riddle signing. It's like, that's a huge deal. Like Matt Riddle was a budding star and he's just, he's a unique dude who it just seems like he's going to be a star but like where does he go where does he fit? and also think about um, how big of a deal it used to be when guys would sign off of the indies 
And like yeah. how big now of a deal like, would be when it's like coming? this is this guy's last show before he goes to WWE and like now you have Beyond Wrestling legitimately naming a show someone's farewell show probably. Mm-hmm. Like that that's probably like why I wanted like somebody like Drew McIntyre to stay in Impact. Like it would have been more interesting to me if he had stayed there for 3 years mm-hmm. and just been the top guy for years and maybe he even goes over to New Japan or something else. Like guys like that who I mean maybe it works out from this fall when he feuds with Roman Reigns for the Universal title and doesn't win it and then he falls into the background <laughs> and is a comedy jobber in 2019 and whatever. Well I've um, I've heard murmurs too of people that are strategically now like kind of keeping wwe at arm's length because they know how saturated it is there at the moment yep and like they they can just use that to their advantage and maybe come in and get more money later yeah but i wonder if you're like somebody i I think velveteen dreams a different one because he's so Mm -hmm. young that he didn't have like that's maybe the better thing where it's like they get you that young yeah where you're like oh even it like i have time like Mm -hmm. it's okay if we're oversaturated right now like i i have no rush like i'm already ahead of the game like he's someone that um time is not against him he is just insanely polished for his age um and he's gonna be fine although that uh, segment last week on nxt with him and ec3 in that pre-recorded video um one of the worst things i've ever seen so still kind of concerned about where that goes (laughs) but um EC3, the guy he's feuding with, another guy who um, put in the work, but he was someone the fans did want. Like, he's an outlier mm-hmm. right now where he did f- flame out in uh, WWE the first time, but then he goes over. Like, I don't think any of us saw that coming, but those are the cool stories. Yeah. Where it's like they get phased out because there's just no room and their character didn't work, whatever, but they didn't stay. And just to keep, like, they didn't do the Bo Dallas, Curtis Axel, and guys, Dolph Ziggler, mm-hmm. where you just stay and remain stagnant and that kind of stuff. Like, Honestly, if I'm Big E, if I don't get a title run in the next year, why not leave? Why not go somewhere else? Yeah, where he could be better utilized. Big E, I remember that rumor this summer of like him getting the title push and that. There yeah, was, and no, it just never not. happened. Yeah, that was like the I, big I thing. I said that immediately. I'm like, it's not happening. What are you talking about? There's no room. That's what you don't like think mm-hmm. about. Where fans they get caught up in the moment where they're like, well, obviously I like him, and that will happen. No, it's not going to happen because you have AJ holding the belt. You look at who's ahead of him on the card. You look at the way they build him anyway, and it's just and obviously there's other circumstances to say the least uh at play there but like well and even when they like things. quote unquote give up on guys or move them down the yeah. card they move them down the card very slowly like look mm-hmm. at how like randy orton always lingers in the main event picture even a guy like jeff hardy's a single star always kind of lingering toward the top of the card think about how sheamus like how many world title reigns he had or how he was always still like right on the cusp of being involved in main events until he was in the bar like that they, once you're there, you're there, and they don't turn over right. the roster very often. So unless you're someone like Ginger Mahal, who for some reason they've decided to throw all of their momentum behind, you're probably not going to get pushed very hard. No, and the longer you're there, the less likely you are to get that push. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of Dolph Ziggler's character. Oh, 100%. It's like, I was here for a long time. I put in the work, um, and it just hasn't helped me getting better as a wrestler and me just hanging around and doing my job and entertaining the fans and selling for everybody uh didn't pay off for me and yet i'm still here and uh it's not a likable character but it's one you can understand like you understand the perspective but it's also like you could have left like nine times man like you could have gone on and done different things and been um a lot more fun and different op opportunities like i just it's it's complicated but i would like to see more guys leave i, I agree um, and biggie is one of my top guys where i'm like dude please just go go somewhere else be a superstar like 
you would just you're too talented to be where you're at and i understand the new day's starting to get a pseudo push by they're probably going to beat the bludgeon players at SummerSlam and um but like they've done that like a million times they've been tag team champions and i'm reading this off off of the wwe official website this this is the actual number 73 times now they've been wwe tag (laughs) team champions so which is only five short of the number of women's title reigns that charlotte yeah 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 so no it'll be their fifth but i i feel like they've kind of done everything there is for them to do in this capacity and i think it's time for the Mm -hmm. biggie singles run at the very least it's just not happening i would bet a lot of that not happening is and the bronze stuff too um which I don't yeah. know about Braun Strowman these days, but I'm, I got a lot of heat last week because I said he's. Who do you think is a dumber television character, okay. Johnny Gargano or Braun Strowman? I'm gonna say Gargano because he gets foiled okay. more frequently. He is an idiot. Like, what is? When are we gonna talk about Johnny Gargano? Like, just being a really like Champa is obviously a great villain, but it's well, yeah. And I think easy. if it was somebody other than Champa and it didn't have the story behind it, you'd get a lot of. The type of complaining that you saw about Daniel Bryan for a long time would be happening about Johnny Gargano. Mm-hmm. Um, but Braun, oh, it's just like Lesnar was there a couple weeks ago. Yeah. He was on the couch for three hours just reading his magazine. And uh, Braun never challenged him, never hit him, attacked him, cashed in his Went back on his word. He did. He's a liar. Braun Strowman, you heard it here first, folks. Liar. Not my champion. Hashtag not my champion. Um, <laughs> I also just feel like... also someone we're... Kevin Owens is making... Like, Kevin Owens has made him look really stupid the last month. Um, this week, they didn't really interact outside of that um, really long, awkward tag team match. Yeah. But um, he's just... He's been foiled by Kevin Owens a lot. And the fact that he chased after the briefcase whenever Kevin Owens runs away with it is another really dumb thing because, obviously, he won the briefcase and not having the physical... Um, case does not mean you're no longer mr money in the bank you still have the contract the company still knows that you won the match it's not like whoever holds it at that moment is the champ is the briefcase holder um certain things like that is just it's all very stupid and it drives me nuts so i don't know Strowman's just a dumb character yeah and i think he's kind of in the tough spot and i'm gonna make another relationship parallel again because i'm too tired to think of anything else but uh perfect braun Strowman is kind of like when you're in high school and you know, there's there's somebody that you like and you guys maybe flirt a little bit and you start talking and, you know, you, you text each other a lot and, you know, you kind of hang out in group settings a bunch. And then that just keeps happening. And then uh, you stop being interested in each other. Hmm. Like, I feel like that's where we are with Braun. I feel like Braun was someone who like everyone's like, oh, hell yeah. Like, this is awesome. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And then like you never like. It never really got all he the way there. The so then it's just like, all right, like, bye. <laughs> like, I feel the train but is leaving the station as we speak. Who wants to? Okay, so Braun, I think it was about a month and a half ago. He went on this like weekly raw streak where he beat Kevin Owens clean. He beat Finn Balor clean. He beat all their top guys. I think he beat Rollins at one point. But he um, can't beat Roman so Reigns because title. Roman Reigns is the guy. Exactly. But if he beats these guys already cleanly and then wins the title, who's he feuding with? A Braun Strowman title run on Raw is not interesting to me because there's no one for him to feud with, and he already lost convincingly to the two main guys of the last three years. Well, yeah, and it's on, happened uh, like Brock Lesnar and a couple Roman times. Reigns. He had a oh. terrible title match at No Mercy last year against. That was the match where Brock won with one F five, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I don't. I have no interest in anything Braun Strowman title related. Like I, I appreciate where he's come from because he was so green coming in, and he changed his body, and he's. 
insanely talented and they've gotten more out of I, I think even the company probably would admit that they did not expect Braun Strowman to become this much of a um a, a top guy. There's, yeah, there's no way. That fans love. Like fans genuinely love him still. But um I, I want Kevin Owens to win the briefcase and I think he's still the most um interesting top character outside of Rollins. I still think um even though Dave Meltzer is in some hot water this week uh, his point that Seth Rollins should be in the Roman Reigns spot and should have been most of this year, I agree with. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, fans love him, and he should have gotten his babyface title run because he had that insanely long heel ah, 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 title run, oh, which and he never got the so babyface bad. version. Yeah. It's kind of surprising because you can tell that they do see him as a top guy. I wonder if it's just like a power struggle with Triple H where it's like, look at what Rollins gets, and then Vince is like, well, let's try and work rollins and roman reigns in here where rollins is treated as a top guy but he doesn't have the title as a baby face and we do the roman reigns stuff um i wonder if there is a back and forth there i yeah i don't know it's i feel like there's something's kind of got to give with rollins at some point because he's he's clearly there as far as fan reaction goes but it's I mean, I, I I don't know. Like you said, they they clearly had a lot of faith in him at one point. And if anything, there's much more reason to believe in him now than there was then. Yep. But now he's not being rewarded. He has nowhere to go. He's another guy where it's like you have to look at this stuff long term. You have to take the prudent approach. You have to think about, OK, so look at the lay of the land. You have to look at the way Vince thinks. You have to look at the way history suggests this is going to go. Um that's why I never believed that Bobby Lashley was actually going to be the guy to beat Lesnar. And he just faded back into the background. I love how he beat Reigns and then Reigns gets the win back and then it's over. Bobby Lashley is no longer concerned with Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar and the universal title. Like it's just mm-hmm. out of his mind. Yeah. Um, it's, it's weird because Rollins obviously has nowhere to go because if Reigns wins the title, which it seems like he's going to do, even though they are laying it on very, very thick that this is it for Heyman and Lesnar. Like they are doing everything in their power to make you think this is the last time that this episode of raw was the last time we're going to see them um, for a long time, Uh, which is kind of weird to me. Right. So I, I don't know. I've gone back and forth on this, but um, I guess it's a positive that there is general intrigue as to whether or not that was it for them. Mm -hmm. And Sunday is it for that duo, but um, I don't know. Do you think, do you think it's possible at all that Roman Reigns doesn't win? That's what I'm. I think it's possible. I think it's on the table. I think it's more on the table than people are willing to admit. Because I think people are sick of this and don't want to see it again. Yeah, but I would not be surprised if Strowman or Owens cashed in on him to close SummerSlam. See, I I think if anything, I could see. I think Brock's leaving with the belt. Okay. I, I I I would not be shocked if there's been some sort of change in plans as far as negotiation goes. And they say, Hey, just wait until WrestleMania and then do the Cormier fight. Well, then you have to release Roman Reigns. No, I think Roman is winning at mania. If that happens, uh, no, I, that I, not. Why not? not? They keep pushing. They keep clearly. They, they want to slow burn this bad boy. Why? Why blow it off at SummerSlam? Take a walk when you yeah. can slow burn all the way until WrestleMania. Slow burn. What, the what slowest, the, the slowest of burns. 
I was going to say, what are we calling, like, Slate wants their podcast name back. This is a, a slow burn? This is, well, this is we, not really is... a slow burn so much as it's, like, using a 1930s microwave. Mm. It's like so... <laughs> Were there microwaves in 1930s? I don't know. Whatever those early question. microwaves yeah. came out that had the dials on them that took nine and a half mm-hmm. years to warm up a piece of bacon and make it, you know, uh, right. on, on the verge of crispy. Um, <laughs> that's That's kind of where I feel like we are, but it I, I wouldn't be completely surprised if we have okay. Roman and Brock wrestle each other at WrestleMania again. Road Dog, Vince, Triple H, Ryan Ward, everybody in the back, if you're listening to this podcast, don't fucking don't, do that. Oh, no, don't do it. But Please don't. I think but if you don't I, have Reigns winning like, at SummerSlam, I think there's a, you have to move there's on. There's a 25% chance that that happens, I think. Okay, if I had to rank like the main event endings, I think most likely... Uh, for me, would be Owens or Strowman winning. See, I don't see. I think it's like seventy percent Roman just wins. Five percent. Are they action, that dumb? Twenty-five percent. Do they really think it's going to be a positive reaction? Do they really? I don't think they care. Okay. Or I think well, that's a great strategy. Or I think that they'll like just deal with it and let it be what it is. Love a product that just deals with it. Mm-hmm. Love it. That's how you. That is how you increase your that's, customers. Yeah, that's, that's how you reward the fans. Uh-huh. Is this is Roman Reigns just their Vince's way of sticking it to the libs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just I love the idea of like going to a restaurant and like, just being served rotten food and being like, "Hey, excuse me, this this salad is is wilted and terrible." And then the the waiter just being like, "Okay." But there also is like four other patrons who like look over at you like, eat it. It's fine. It's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, if you consider that this salad is better than Japanese food, like that's what they're doing there. It's better than no food. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, what? Aren't there other options? There's got to be more in the menu than this. Nope, this is it. And be glad that you're getting this. Yep. Mm. God. Great times yeah. on Monday Night Raw. But I'm glad that... uh. We have other things. We are getting Rousey and Bliss, though, which is mm-hmm. my most anticipated match on this whole show, honestly. Over Ms. Bryan. I, okay, I was very excited for Ms. Bryan, and then I saw how else excited everybody else was about Ms. Bryan, and it made me a little less excited about it, because I, I have to feel okay. contrarian. Um, I think Bliss and Rousey is going to be an absolute spectacle, and I think regardless of what the outcome is, it's going to be awesome. It's also just insane that they don't go with Ms. Bryan or Ronda versus Bliss to close the show. Those should be the two choices. It's one of the They two. should be. And it's not. I uh, yeah, but I don't think it will be. I don't think there's much steam in the WWE title picture for this. Oh. I don't th- I love Joe and I love Styles. But this feels very going through the motions. <laughs> very s- standard. Um it's <sighs> I don't want to say it's a lot like the Nakamura stuff. Another guy who just is never on SmackDown, by the way, mm-hmm. since winning the title. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I love them both, and I think Joe has done significantly well um, with his mic work oh, in this. Oh, 100%. Week. Like, he is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just there's not a lot of heat for that. Like, no. there's more interest in uh, Rusev and Lana versus Zelina Vega and Andrade. Probably the styles Samoa Joe. Yeah. Match. And I don't, I hadn't thought about it, it that way. It's kind of sad, but I think it is. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, 
have I told you my crackpot theory on what I would do with the world title picture on SmackDown? Uh, no. Uh, you throw Let the belt hear. in the trash. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I think I think what you should do is so I think the kind of the general consensus is <laughs> either Brian wins or Miz cheats to win. I think what you do is Miz beats Daniel Bryan clean. I, I hear I, me I, out. Okay. So the AJ Styles title reign is kind of getting stale at this point. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really have a whole lot of fresh challengers outside of the Miz. Yeah. I think Miz beating Brian clean can tell an unbelievably compelling story. And I think Miz Brian for the title with Miz having beaten Brian clean in their first outing is money headed into wrestling. This is too much long-term booking. For well, Rose. yes, he, you already lost. Yes. It. But I, I think like, how great would it be if Daniel Bryan, who has been rusty and having longer matches than he should have with big cast, he's just not all the way back to what he used to be yet. And in the Miz in his career run that he has had has now surpassed what Daniel Bryan has ever been. And Miz can harp on that and talk about how much better of a, pr- a pure professional wrestler he is than Daniel Bryan on top so of like the better entertainer, stuff, being better looking, 50, being an A-lister. Yeah. It's all there. And I, I think that that is the best sympathetic underdog story you can tell. I think that's better than Miz cheating because I think Brian doubting himself and having to deal with that failure makes him an even more relatable, tragic character. Okay. I think uh, he's going to win clean. You think Brian wins clean? Yeah. That's like the happy ending Occam's Razor straightforward. And then we get Babyface Brian versus Babyface Styles. (laughs) Got it. I don't know. I, I don't like I don't want it, but I think that's where they're going for the title. What I would do is you have two choices, I think, and I like your option too. Um, you either get the title on Styles until Mania, and you spend the next six months building up Andrade, and I think that's the plan: is Andrade versus Styles, and you give Andrade the gigantic rub of beating AJ after that super long ring, give him twenty minutes, uh-huh. and let him tear the house down. I that's what love I would do. that I would- idea. Because like there is something to Styles just beating everybody, mm. and then Andrade just being like, "I'm Oops. the last guy." Yeah. I was. I, I think that would be the most entertaining, and I think that's the best way to um, push Andrade to the top of the card because I think that's where he needs to be. Yes. and I think it, if you're if you want to write the ship with him, is okay. Hey, how do we get him to Styles at Mania? And I think that's how I would do things. Um, and I think Andrade along with anywhere too is like the most obvious star power performer on the roster. Right. And I just don't think they're going to do it big. And I think Andrade is more realistic. Um, although he did a lot of the, uh, he hadn't really done the whole smacking of the leg stuff a lot mm-hmm. before this week. Did he? Cause it seemed like he was really ratcheting it up. It was almost like Vince like told him, Hey, we need you to do more of this stuff. That could um, be. I don't know. It seems like he's been doing that kind of stuff a little bit more since uh, getting called up. But um, yeah, I think that would be my plan. Uh, but I don't think Brian should be anywhere. In- I would not put the title back on Brian ever again. I think <sighs> strong disagree there. I don't think he's ever going to be a full time guy again. And he kind of is like a full time guy, though. Is he? 
Sort of. Has he had a match on SmackDown in this month? <laughs> I don't know about this month, but he's had matches on SmackDown. <laughs> I don't know about this month, but back in March. Um, no, it's just, I don't like, he's too much of a risk still. I, I, I don't know. I'd be more, I would be more, inter- I'd be more interested in the Miz getting a title run and being the guy to take down Styles. Can you imagine just him being able to say that he beat Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles back to back? It'd be great. It'd be really it would great. be insane. If you want to make the Miz a top guy, that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Those are the two options, I think. Um, Daniel Bryan being the guy who wins clean and then beats Styles, uh, not interested in that in the slightest. I, see, I think, I think, I, I think the opposite. I think you've got to make the best of Bryan while you have him. I think this fear of like, oh, what if something happens again? Like, you can't do it. He's in the ring. You got to shit or get off the pot. Like, I'd rather just see him not wrestle if you're going to play it safe with him. I might just release him then. What Go for take. it. Go for it. Yeah. What Chase take. Thomas yeah. quotes, Daniel Bryan should be fired. <laughs> subtext, hope he loses his job. <laughs> <laughs> Is that subtext? If I hope he's fired, I feel like that's... Uh, we're, du- we're doubling very down. very not beneath... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, how long do you think Bliss Rousey goes? 15 minutes. Ooh. I don't think it makes it 10. Oh, I'm including entrances because I'm using stupid, okay. stupid booker mind. Um, I think if everything is curtain to curtain. Uh, in ring, yeah, actually probably 8 to 9. And that's being generous, I still feel like. See, I think that's plenty of time because they they're not playing the Rousey card how I think they should be. Because I thought mm-hmm. the Alicia Fox match should have been a 30-second murder. It was basically a thirty. Like no, I, I, I thought it was. Alicia five. Fox had a brief control segment. Like no, no, no. That was. It was not, not that good. Long. It was pretty short. Um, so I think you'll have some sort of weird. You're gonna have some Larry Zabisco stalling to start. You're gonna have some sh- shenanigans. You're gonna have an Alexa Bliss control segment, and then you'll have Ronda firing up, and then you'll either have a, a DQ or someone interfering or whatever, and. Or Ronda wins, but I think they're going to save that for. Does Ronda win no matter what for you? Or no? I think I think they're saving her title win for Evolution. Okay. Speaking of like the whole Stephanie parallel, um, I didn't mention this. Did you see how Stephanie like the rationale behind why she calls um wrestlers superstars? No. Okay. Uh, her rationale, and I almost threw my laptop out the window Is when I read. Rants are the coolest. Um, her answer was. So, professional wrestlers, it's not enough to describe the current professional wrestler to just call them a wrestler because they do social media, they do interviews, they do podcasts, they do radio spots, they go on the Today Show. <laughs> so, they do all these different things. They're not that. And my response was, um, have you watched other sports? Well, yeah. What do you think every other athlete he- in every other professional league does all the time? Well, do you think that are she's in this bubble like what well it's also just insane too because like you can't use that phrase for everybody like you can't be like yeah you know nba superstar chris dunn was (laughs) (laughs) right and superstar implies if you just look up the basic definition of it only two guys really on the wwe roster right now fit that bill and it's brock lesnar and john cena Uh that's it and maybe like some of the reality show. Like I think you could put the Bellas in that role, honestly, based on the reality show appeal. Maybe that's every that every time you... the fact that I'm involved with professional wrestling comes up in a social setting, 
The it women that the are there immediately ask if I know the Bella Twins. That is That's the first question. I would never I get guess asked. that. Yep. Huh. Okay. So maybe, but that's also an indictment on the rest of the roster. But like the idea, like, um, who is a who'd be a good example? Like Dean Ambrose returns this mm-hmm. week. Love Dean Ambrose. Love the fact that the crowd yelled out "Dirty Deeds" as he mm-hmm. hit him this week. Oh, totally. But he's he's not a superstar. Yeah, Seth Rollins not a superstar. Roman Reigns, as much as they want to believe, no, not a superstar. Uh-huh. Well, and it's tough too because just the sort of general lack of like. They've made it so clear that like tier one is Brock Lesnar, tier two is Roman Reigns, and tier three is kind of everybody else. Right. But I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, well, like if you were to do like first team all WWE, like you have first, second, and third team all NBA, like Dean Ambrose is maybe like second team all NBA. And I you could make the argument that like Paul George is a superstar. And like in my head, I'm trying to think of like these cross sport comparisons, but they're really not mm-hmm. applicable because in WWE it's so clearly like Brock roman and then i'd put cena on a third tier actually and then it's everybody else interesting third tier cena and then the but then the fourth like but these tiers are very uneven mm-hmm. like these tiers are the top brick of the pyramid the second brick of the pyramid and the third mid- oh we should pyramid. mention rousey by the way and rousey's the other yeah one. and then there's like 40 lows of bricks that are just like dot 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 and then like the base of the pyramid is everybody else mm-hmm what do you think of Kurt Angle's kids think when they watch him every week on Raw? Oh, Kurt Angle's like, it's so sad to watch Kurt Angle like this. Watch him in 2002. Watch, I posted in the RBR neighborhood a few months back. Uh, like, I just stumbled upon some old Kurt Angle. I'm like, this is a different person. Well, I'm I'm intrigued to see when the podcast I do with my wife on our Patreon, This Is Your Wife. Uh-huh. My wife, Christina, are going back and watching through the Attitude Era which she's she's really only watched modern era wrestling. So it's all brand new to her. She the only best, knows best, Kurt Angle is like the Kurt Angle who can barely speak. Mm-hmm. So I feel well, like she's going to be traumatized about his like when he, his. Yeah, like when he shows up and is like smooth talking and witty and clever and well spoken, yeah. like it's going to be like, uh oh, like brain injuries are real. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want I feel bad for laughing, but it's. Uh, <sighs> It's just, it's not even just that for me. It's, he's just a punching bag. Yeah. Like, it's brutal. Like, his, Corbin, every week is just like, you make the matches, and then Kurt's just like, you're right. And <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> like, oh, my really God. In charge. This is just sad. Well, yeah. but, like, he also, like, will deliver it like he's not going to say something really sad. Like, you're like, well, <laughs> you know what, Baron Corbin? You're right. I do only <laughs> make the matches. Like. And he just embraces it. It's very bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just sad. I, I don't know. Like Kurt Angle seems like a good guy. Yeah. Just, I I don't. It it's just bad. And I um I don't know. Paige is also great on SmackDown every week. Um, I was really not prepared to enjoy Paige in this role as much as I have. Right, and but she's really good. Well, yeah, and like, and also like Stephanie McMahon, um, calling Kurt and just being a dick to him every week, but also like randomly appearing and announcing Evolution. And being a babyface who's doing it, that's a weird thing that they've never really addressed. And I would love to hear her insight as to how that makes sense to anyone who watches the product on a week to week basis. But um, yeah, that, that a lot of stuff Stephanie said this week were kind of uh, a head scratcher for me. It, it definitely is sort of an interesting contrast. And by interesting, I mean actually bad. I, I agree. Um, in no other cinematic universe television show anything do you have 
a character who portrays two different characters while being the same person. It's it's baffling because it it no one really talks about it. It's just like it's an accepted part of this company. Yeah, like we can. It's very blurred where it's like Triple H runs NXT, but we don't really talk about that when he just announces an NXT mm-hmm. show and is like, oh, "Are you ready?" and blah blah blah. And uh, then we just we know he's hovering over Raw, and if we see his Raw character again, and it's WrestleMania season, he's back to being a dastardly heel. Um who's angry at Ronda Rousey and uh, just, it, it's really weird that those two different characters and how they operate in the same universe. And it's never really clear who they actually are on screen and who we're sp- like, whether or not you're supposed to um, cheer for them or not. It's, it's very bizarre. Um, and it's made even, even tougher by the fact that because it is Stephanie McMahon and it is triple mm-hmm. H, this is going to be something that we deal with until we're dead. <laughs> I kind of want to end the podcast on that note of uh, just, yep. That's a good, that's a good place to leave it. <laughs> uh, last thing. Did you uh, have any other big takeaways from raw or SmackDown this week heading into SummerSlam? I, I do think that they deserve all the credit in the world for how good the, the Miz Brian package yeah. was because one of my big complaints about WWE is that they never reference their own history within the last mm-hmm. decade. They'll, they'll talk your ear off about the attitude era but they'll never mention anything that happened like more than a month yeah, ago. They don't want to uh, like, you, for like, example, hey, remember this shit because they're not proud of it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah. Do you remember when Kevin Owens got thrown off the top of the hell in a cell mm-hmm. structure or, or the cage or whatever it was? And like, no one's talked yeah. about it really since then. Like they, they are like when Kalisto did that crazy samurai del soul a few mm-hmm. years ago. Like there's big, insane moments and you're like, wow, I can't believe I just witnessed that. And then it's not really talked about again. Outside of maybe the shield, there's nothing that they are like, hey, guys, remember this? <laughs> yeah. Um, once once a month has passed. So for them to put out that kind of video package, I thought was so refreshing and good and cool. And it made me feel rewarded as a viewer, which is to me like the best thing that wrestling can do is to make me feel like I've made a good decision by investing my time in this. Yeah, um, I'm right there with you. Do you have any... Uh takeover thoughts we didn't really touch on that at all but um yeah it's kind of a weird takeover card which means that uh we'll go into it we'll be like i you know i feel like nxt used to be better and then this will end up like being the best show i mean of the it year. has adam cole uh, versus ricochet on it that which is gonna be bonkers because i'm like the low guy on adam cole i feel like as far as if i hear one more Shawn michaels comparison or it's like adam he's cole? Working, did you know he was working with Shawn michaels it's like yeah great but he's also like the comparisons from him to like to him being young Shawn Michaels drives me insane mm-hmm. because Shawn Michaels well, he's nowhere near no, ring. and that's not and I thought he could have been like when he was in CZW killing it in the best of the best tournament in 2012 also, like Shawn Michaels is at that point, absolutely the greatest professional wrestler of all time so comparing Adam Cole to him and I think Adam Cole had that kind of potential really? at one point I don't think he's gonna yeah I really do um I don't think he's ever going to attain that now, but I think he could still very much be a main event player. And I think his crowd connection is next level. And ultimately that's the most important thing is the fact that he, he has the crowd eating out of his palm at all times. How excited are you for Connor Reeves to interrupt uh, the EC3 Velveteen dream match? What? <laughs> There's a rivalry there. Kona, the finest has been uh, at the heels of nipping at the heels of EC3. Um, I don't, so I don't really watch NXT week mm-hmm. to week. 
uh, very often. It's not a good show. Is Conan Reeves good? Is he uh, bad? So, well, everyone says it's been week to week. It's been the best it's been this year in a very long matters, time. It's really outside of the Gargano stuff. And then when Alistair Black, because he just wasn't there for like a month. It's just, a, you don't have to watch week to week to know what's going on. It's just not a necessary thing. Well, they've had some really cool matches on it this year. Like, yeah, I feel like the, the uh, guys have like 37 February. matches on it, I, I want to say. Um, <laughs> she's a fixture. And she's okay. She's fine. <laughs> I don't know. She's fine. But is, but is Kona Reeves uh, good? No, he's not. But he's got oh, okay. the look That's... of next top guy. So just prepare yourself for Kona Reeves' um, next Vince guy. Mm-hmm. He, it's, he's coming. Like, he's gigantic. Kona Reeves just sounds so much like Keanu Reeves that I can't. Yeah, that's what they were thinking. No, I think I think they were just naming him something, gotcha. but that's all I can think of every time I see the name or hear it. Does uh, Champa keep the belt? I feel like he has to, but then again, I don't think he will. Yeah, I think Champa's going to be the guy in NXT for okay. a while. Um, Matt Riddle, could but he debut? I don't know. I know it's got to. It's got to be Gargano because he's never won it. Yeah, right. This is the last man standing match. So, I, but then again, like if you have Champa lose, where do you even go for the go from there with him? gotta yeah. call him up if he loses that's it like there's nothing else he can do <laughs> but then again alistair black what does he do now has he reached the point i think you can do out Al- you can easily turn alistair heel i think there's plenty of time to have a good alistair black heel run if you huh. want to so i think you could do black and gargano but i think i think champa or gargano who one of them's gotta go whoever loses gotta go um can we add cassius ono into that and he just goes anyway yeah, did you mean up to the oh, main no, roster to a different promotion? Oh, I'd yeah, I'd like to see him be able to like have good wrestling matches again. That'd be cool. I mean, he remember how everyone was like, "Hey, he might be the best wrestler in the world." Awesome, he's getting signed again. And then like, why did he want to keep the name? Why did he want to do Cassius Ono again? Lars Sullivan again? Remember like Lars I don't Sullivan, who's not around anymore. He's just gone. He disappeared earlier this yeah. year. For unknown reasons, and now he had that monster push again, and then he disappeared. I want to say, I want apologies from everyone who gave me shit about the Lars Sullivan is actually bad and is not going to be a thing, and it's going to be a comedy job or down the line. Like, oh my god, it was such a waste of time. Lars Sullivan, you could see that right away. Waste of time, and uh, yeah, not a fixture, not around. It's. Ugh. I hope that doesn't mean he's like going to debut on like Raw after SummerSlam or something. Well, I think. Yeah, and I think that the issue was is that his big NXT main event, like anyone who enjoyed it was like, see, it wasn't horrible. <laughs> Low expectations. And yeah. like that's Yeah, like he he really benefited from people not looking forward to his takeover match, which is if the best thing that you can say is that, like you didn't completely shit the bed in a match that no one wanted to see you in. But we remember the bot. That's not that's what we remember for the match. Yeah, everyone just remembers the whiff on the yeah, the Spin yeah, kick. Not great. And if you have a bad match with Aleister Black, I feel like it's on you. Or even a just a non-memorable well, yeah. on a pay-per-view. That's <laughs> uh, not great for your long-term career. Um, does Kyrie Sane win the win the belt? Or does Shayna retain? I would have Kyrie win it. I think I think at this point in, in their history, you could easily pull it off. And I'm a little down on Shayna Baszler at the moment, but I think they're the opposite. I think Shayna's okay. winning. Yeah, I would agree. I think she's winning too. Um, but I like Shayna Baszler and I like Kyrie Sane. I like them both, so I'm okay with either. I do too, but I'm. I just I don't know. I'm a little fatigued on okay. Baszler. Does Asuka come back and surprise and save uh, Kyrie Sane? 
I'd like to see Asuka come back and maybe wrestle Shayna Baszler since she's just gone. By the not way, doing anything from SmackDown. SmackDown is just gone. When how would you feel if, when she won the Women's Royal Rumble? If I magically appeared from the future and said, "Hey, she's not going to be on the SummerSlam card." I, you know, I hadn't even really thought about that, but that, yeah, that's insane. It's pretty crazy. Mission accomplished. Great work by everybody. Yep. Great mm-hmm. work. Um. Oh my God, that is that is something else. Yeah, I I I really hadn't even thought about that. Just how much momentum she had just a few months ago. How she was being positioned as mm-hmm. the next top figure on SmackDown, especially after the split. And everybody was like, "Well, it might not be that bad," even though she lost to Charlotte. And I thought the match was great, and I thought it was okay for her to lose, and just it was fine. I, I was okay with it. Um, but at the same time, like losing Carmella back to back times, and it felt. I, I don't like making this kind of comparison because it does feel lazy and unfair, but like the Shinsuke losing Jinder Mahal twice and just never getting the title. Yeah. Just falling out of the picture entirely and just having to do a heel turn to get back into the fold, even though he's still not really on the fold because he just doesn't appear on SmackDown very often. Um, well, yeah, just, just like that feeling of like, well, I guess that's right. it. Like there's no secondary title for Asuka to even go after. So it's like she just has nothing to do for a while. Mm-hmm. it sucks because Oscar's awesome and it's just it they dropped the ball with her like they just did yeah um, but yeah i don't know this is a somber way to end this podcast maxwell we gotta do something positive what's a positive way we can end this matt riddle is awesome uh, be fun well i mean i i think it's important to remember that takeover is always really good and that the SummerSlam card still looks really good on paper. i don't think they have enough matches though 13's a little lean for a SummerSlam card? Yeah, yeah. I, I would have had at least 79 <laughs> matches on the show. Can we get Mojo Raleigh versus Bobby Roode on the kickoff show? Yeah, that's that's what we need. We just keep keep that adding to it. Keep adding to it. Raw this week. It, it was one of the most baffling things I've ever seen. I, I cannot believe they actually did that. The who's who and Bobby Roode just winning in one of the saddest DDTs to end a, like a match on Raw in months. It was so depressing. Another guy. Ask for your release, Bobby Roode. Didn't work. Impact's good again. Go back. Uh-huh. Hmm. Damn yeah, it. I, I screwed I, up again. I was trying to end on a positive note, and I just went back to Bobby Roode should ask for his papers. Um, um but no, I think I think takeover is takeover is always good. I think it's very important to remember that takeover specials always end up delivering. And and that's a great thing. And you know the WWE does not need the rock, according to Seth Rollins. They're in a great place. They don't need superstars. Yeah. They're fine, Maxwell. Everything mm-hmm. is fine. Um, yeah, there you go. Wow. Wrestling, actually good. Elias is good. Maybe they'll do something with him after. That's how I'm going to end this. Is Elias is still super over for whatever reason, and he's great, and he's comfortable. He's doing different stuff. I hope they do something with him this fall. I hope he gets a title run of some sort. Um, they already did Rollins versus Elias, but it was brief. And if Rollins wins the title at uh, SummerSlam, which I think he will, I think he does beat Ziggler. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's what I build is Elias versus Seth Rollins again this fall and give Elias the rub. But then again, I don't think they would do that if Seth Rollins gets the title back. Um, I don't know. I just hope they do something with Elias because he's too. There's only a handful of guys that are just kind of they just have the fans at the palm of their hands like that. It's him, Rollins, mm-hmm. Ambrose. And is there anybody else on Raw that really has that? I don't know. 
I no, I think and that's Rousey. it. Yeah, oh yeah, Ronda. that's it though. So I just think you have like mm-hmm. for the it's already oh, and I guess Braun ish. I, I don't know Braun ish. I think I I don't think that will be the case in a few agree. months though. Um, and Elias is kind of the most interesting young guy they have. He's still super young. He definitely is, and I think he's he's very clearly improved, and I think he's benefiting from being on the road. Like I think he's clearly gotten better in the ring from it. Like he just grows by leaps and bounds as time continues to progress. Yeah. Push Elias. That's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to end this. Push Elias. He deserves it. Actually, actually good. good Elias. All right, Maxwell, I really appreciate you taking the time. We can find you on Twitter at Maxwell RBR. We can listen to you every week on the RBR wrestling weekly wrestling talk podcast. Um, that you record live every Wednesday night at nine o'clock Eastern time that you can find by going to mixler.com slash fan off. And yeah, we can do all that and follow you and everything else. So I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to be here. So I, I appreciate you having me on. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.